Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally yourselves. I am Camille Foster. I do various things at Freethink. The internet went out at my office, so I'm actually recording at my home office. At some point, my three-year-old is probably going to burst into the room, and her name is Leah. Mm -hmm. So I've introduced her now. She doesn't have a job. She doesn't do anything in particular so far as skills are concerned, but she is adorable. I'm also joined by people who are less adorable, but are are equally important to me in certain ways not true also less likely to call you poopy head <laughs> yeah that's right yeah it She's depends in that on the phase day now. and how many drinks yeah that's true uh michael moynihan vice news how's it going matt welch reason magazine no vocal for gentlemen wonderful to be with you both yeah did you just say no homo matt welch no, I said no, no vocal wow. fry. Jeez. Oh, okay. No I was going to say, we yeah. don't do wow. that anymore. No. Th that's been retired. Uh, well, you don't do it on podcasts anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just do it in hip hop. Yeah. Yeah, things are great. We recorded a podcast last night, so we're, we're all caught up. And if you want to get caught up, it's on the Patreon. That's right. There's the advertising right? for the Patreon. Nice. Yeah, well, we don't have advertising, you cheap fuck. so go and subscribe to Patreon. <laughs> that's what we do. We, we, we don't soon. talk about the X chair. What's the other one? What are the other ones you have? <laughs> <laughs> it's always like some guy, like pretending that they use ivermectin yeah <laughs> it's not just for covid anymore yeah. it's for your balls yeah probably do that ad actually the official covid treatment of the fifth column podcast do you think if we had ads i would be the one to do them we would charge different rates depending on who is reading the ads they would ask for uh, camille's black scent and then your jesse jackson <laughs> depending on their level of humor yeah that's you've got to use mailchimp it is a chimp that sends you messages <laughs> when my grape has turned to a raisin. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, oh, one thing before we introduce. I had a great pivot. No, Yeah, segues. it's a good pivot. You can go back to the pivot. Because I was going to say something about technologically inclined primates because you made a mailchimp I mean, joke. And then there's a whole <laughs> chaos monkey thing. But... It's fine. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, speaking of, you but I was driving me to drink. I'm gonna get a beer. Just give me one second. I'll be back in ten seconds. All right. Okay. You people yeah, are driving me fucking get crazy. A beer and, we'll... and it's been five minutes, and it's fuck. I'm nuts. Yeah, Antonio Viragoso. I, by the way, he's all right. He's worried about getting canceled a second time. As I said, he's got the antibodies. So I'm gonna cancel twice. Um, but no, we did a long bit on the Patreon about Norm Macdonald, and uh, one of the things I was watching was. He had sponsors on his podcast who kept on bailing on him because his reads were so funny, like making fun of the pot products that oh, we were yeah, paying yeah, him yeah, to. Yeah. So go, particularly one called The Man Great, uh, oh, no. which is amazing. <laughs> it's like a grill. It's uh, the best. But yeah, you can introduce Antonio now. Okay. okay I well, opened the beer close to the mic so that, in fact, proof of life of the beer. That's yeah. good. As it were. That's good. We, we, we endorse that. Ingratiating yourself to our listeners who yeah. are... Yeah. Derelict alcoholics for various, some reason. Yeah, various <laughs> types of rat bag. Well, how did that, and how drug did that addicts that and all sorts of other uh, terrible They things. send us a lot. There's there's more booze in the purple room behind oh, us. Oh, shit, really? Wow. Um, yeah. than, than you can possibly drink in a decade. Yeah, what, for years we were just trying to get them to send us money, and they were just like, here's more booze. I'm like, guys, I'm tired, <laughs> yeah. and I need to feed my kid. Got, got the fatty liver problem. Yeah. What else is in the purple uh, room? That, that room is oh, ominous. There's like oh, a fluorescent room behind yeah. you. Uh, oh a giant painting of Melania Trump That's true. dressed scantily on mm -hmm. a plane bound for Austin wearing sunglasses. Yes. 
Uh, very specific. Yeah. There's a picture of uh, Shohei Otani hitting a home run while the rising sun is exploding behind him. That's an original <laughs> painting by fifth columnist okay. Craig Mahoney. This is not the embalmed yeah. human head collection I was expecting. Okay, fine. No, no, no. <laughs> there's <laughs> much more regular. original uh, David Levine art, a dorm fridge, and just a thousand bottles of booze. Yes, that's about right. Yeah, a lot of okay. So this is going to get worse as uh, yeah, as yeah. you. Whenever you see us walk up, we're yeah. not going to be walking back in a no. straight line. No. Got well, let me let All me right. introduce our guest. Because, so introduce I mean, the guy that got fired. Who, some of you people know who this person is. Antonio Garcia Martinez is. Uh, uh, are we friends? I don't know. At, at a minimum, we we have some sort of association. We've gotten to know each you other in were recent until months. Now. It's, 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 it's what might be called a parasocial relationship. No, that's no, it's not a parasocial <laughs> relationship. It's I, it's somewhere between acquaintance Trans? and friend, Camille. We've never met in person. I think you can't call somebody a friend yes. unless you've met in person. So I think we have to get to that developmental milestone, and then sure. I would say yes. In the COVID yeah. era, I don't know if I abide by that rule, but I'll but I'll let it stand for the moment because I want to be polite okay. at a minimum. Author of Chaos Monkey, formerly of Facebook, some sort of affiliation with Y Combinator, a very brief but impactful tenure at Apple, which we can talk about a little bit if you're able to. Um, Antonio has recently launched his own publication. He is the Substack kingpin of the pull request. I pay for it, I believe. Um, thank you. Camille. I read it regularly. Thank you. Um, Antonio, thank you for joining us. I want to talk to you about various things, culture, policy, tech related, because you have interesting insights. I, I see myself stonewalling at least one question here, but let's let's go ahead with this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, well then, then an appropriate place to begin. What the hell is going on? What, what's, what's the deal with this Apple thing? What's what can you tell uh, us? Nice. Oh, that stonewall just yeah. ruined you like a ton of bricks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So wait, it, it can make you famous and get you a rich Substack, but you won't talk about it. Is yeah. that how this works? And I mean, do, do you, by famous, as, as, like, you everyone was writing about this. Like there, it's I, covered yeah. in the L.A. Times, and I, I think. It's like objective to say, and this is not a good thing, and I wish it hadn't happened. Yes, I was yeah. like the media story for one week, and um, yeah. it was a hell of a ride. Um, I have to say, for the you know the uplifting beat, I got thousands of supportive messages from people, and by and large, it was not nearly. I thought I was going to get pilloried because whatever cancel culture, what whatnot. I have to say, in general, I don't think the mass, to, to the degree you can read the Twitter as representative, was actually. Uh, against me and on the contrary i think most people thought the whole thing was kind of dumb but yeah i can't really talk about it too much beyond what's already publicly so, known but, so um, since since you can't talk about it Moynihan or camille do you want to give us well a, i will say one <laughs> thing let's, here's, let's here's, watch him try to no, no. nod or like give okay. hand signals there's ways of making him talk we have yeah. like like the germans would say but uh <laughs> or you know in movies they would say that i don't know if they really say that um but let's not do that because i want antonio uh garcia Martin, martinez uh, a white hispanic by the way uh, <laughs> <laughs> The George Zimmerman of this podcast. Dude, I was going um, to say, there's one Latinx, there's a black guy and two white guys. This is like the American demographic here in one Yeah, in one exactly, podcast. exactly. And no Matt is trans, too, which is hilarious. I didn't yeah. know that. He found out that tonight. Yeah. Um, but no, no, I won't do that. Because what you do is you accuse people of various things and they have to defend themselves. Right. Like, oh, you said this. And he's like, wait, I never said that. And it's like, ah, the ball's rolling. But the good thing about this, Antonio, we'll look at yeah. uh, the silver lining. You sold a bunch of copies of, uh, of of your novel, didn't you? As a result of this, which was the kind of uh, locus of the of, of the controversy, with some things that were not very controversial in your book. But I went to look at it on Amazon. It disappeared for a while, and then you moved a bunch, didn't you? Yeah. So the book, to be clear, it's, it's not a novel. It, it's a heavily stylized nonfiction sort of memoir yes. in the sort of Hunter S. Thompson mold, which I think is yeah. 
the tone of which is kind of what got me in trouble. It came out ages ago, by the way, just to be clear. 2016, the book came out right around when Facebook became a whole story. And it tells me being there in the semi-early days of the Facebook ads team and building some of the ads product that we now take for granted. For example, that pair of shoes that you look at that follow you on Instagram uh, uh, or Facebook, I built the very early versions of that back in the day. And uh, yeah, the book is five years old. To me, it's kind of like, it's this weird thing I did. I came back to tech in 2019, actually, um, which, which is how I ended up at a company called Branch and a company called Apple. And yeah, people went back and read a five-year-old book that at the time was like book of the year, book of the month for NPR, The Atlantic Wired, all these great publications, positively rude, three months in the bestseller list. And suddenly, you know, snarky jokes are Satan's own spawn. And so that's what happened there. And yeah. not a single negative word about those things that you were criticized for when it came down at the time, or is there not, like, not, uh, very little? Or I mean, did people few, just say like you're a bro, like a bro? Yeah, culture yeah. I mean, a, a few of the reviews. I mean, to be fair, let's be. I mean, the New York Times, I think, didn't mention it, or maybe one of the reviews did, but it was very much a yeah. He comes off as this sarcastic bro, which again is kind of a, a pose in a way and a sort of narrative voice that I assumed. So a few reviewers mentioned, but it wasn't like a big thing. No. Mm. no. So, so it's that, a very funny we, book, by the way. Yeah, just for the record. Thank Go you. Thank you. Reviews are very That's strong. Good. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, ultimately, this is a controversy that pertains to the culture of Apple, but I think the culture of Silicon Valley more broadly, and even to say Silicon Valley is perhaps not broad enough, just the tech industry, perhaps more broadly. And as someone who has a background in that universe, I'm wondering if you can give us a sensibility about what that universe is like now to the extent yeah. that you're able to, to talk yeah, about yeah. it and, and perhaps even give us a sensibility about, about yourself and your own politics, because that might be useful for a lot of people. They think, oh, you know, I've seen these like woke traverses. Right. I remember the billboards coming across the bridge from Brooklyn to Manhattan telling me that if I, if I was okay with racism, I should delete the Uber app joining a side <laughs> in the in the sort of prevailing culture war and i did delete the camille said hello left day and then i put it back <laughs> yeah. i'm not i'm not going to be an anti-racist <laughs> yeah i'm on team um, racism <laughs> but but talk to, talk to me a little bit about about your your experience your sensibility about things and and where they yeah, stand yeah. right now yeah, yeah. so I, as regards to Apple, if it's not me, I can talk shit about all I want. <laughs> so as long as it's not my part of the story. The good news is that after my whole situation, there was a series of employer revolts, so to speak, yeah. in which they objected. They felt that Apple should have a view on Israel-Palestine as if a smartphone and hardware company is going to somehow solve the Middle East peace. There was a thing about how they didn't want to go back to work in this gorgeous billion-dollar cap campus, some of the most remuneratively paid, plusish jobs in the world, and they didn't want to go back to work. Most recently, there was another kerfuffle. Look, here's what's really going on. I think it's just we've introduced all the noxious dynamics of Twitter, like the world that we all live in, and injected into the corporate world and called it work. It's called Slack, right? And so Slack is this thing, which by the way, I think Slack is a great tool. And in fact, an early glimpse for me of the Slack mode of work, whereby I, there's like a feed and it's very social and you tag people was like, when I worked at Facebook, people use Facebook to collaborate internally. And it was a very Slack-like experience and I thought it could be very effective. But I, again, if you come at it with a thought, I'm going to sort of coalesce weird disruptive politics where they kind of don't belong it's a great vector for that right and so i mean just today i think there was a leaked memo about leaked memos so tim cook had a memo about how people <laughs> had to stop leaking and that got leaked and i'm sure there's going to be a leaked memo about the leaked memo about the leaked memos forever it's inviting right? a leaked memo when you do it's that exactly it's you know antenna in the universe of journalism uh this sort of stuff is 85 90% of the people at 
particularly younger companies with younger employees and younger reporters. Right. And of course, you journalism makes a lot less money, so you have a lot more younger and uh, uh, writers, journalists, etc., who don't get paid very much. Is it the same thing in tech, or is it the tyranny of four percent of people? at Apple who are really loud and everyone's really afraid of them because, you know, you don't have the right position on Iron Dome or Gaza or something. <laughs> I mean, what is the, what is, when you were inside some of these companies, did it feel like it was the equivalent of journalism or just a kind of really, really loud, aggressive minority? Uh, I mean, again, again, as regards to my case, I can mention things that are public and I think it was publicly reported, not by me, but by Verge, that I think this, the signature is have myself ousted. I've always wanted to be ousted, by the way. It feels like being a Latin American yeah. dictator, right? Like I, I got ousted. It's so exciting. It's much better than than fired. Fired is just like horrible. Ousted is like, you know, tapes yeah. rolled. Yeah. <laughs> and so in my ousting, I think there was something like 2000 signatures, which I think amounts to 1% of the Apple workforce. And then there was most recently another one got something like 20 or 30 signatures, which I think is something like 0.03% of Apple's yeah. So I, I think it definitely is a loud minority. That said, if you look around at elite institutions from media, technology, whatever, it definitely seems that they've all coalesced on the same very narrow set of values. It finally got to Silicon Valley in a way. I think very few companies have actually taken a stand on it, rather famously Coinbase, who yeah. at the time, Brian just said like, fuck no, we're just not going to do this. And if you think we should be doing this, here's a nice little package and there's the door. And he got all this shit for it. And in retrospect, Coinbase is doing pretty good, right? And this, and this is uh, before they went public. So right, it, right. it gives you some indication of how well they weathered that storm. Yeah. And, they're, and they're not alone. Shopify had a similar um, right. drama sort of play out, also doing pretty well. Basecamp too did uh, something yeah, similar. That was right? a little a little dicier. Um, and Basecamp, yeah. I think, had a different trajectory to that point because Basecamp was kind of a famously woke company in right. many respects and it was roiling the company so much that they actually had to pivot away from that mm -hmm. but they still seem to be alive at the moment i don't know if Basecamp is the most dynamic innovative company in the tech industry um chicago not silicon valley if i'm not mistaken but mm -hmm. you can survive these things. Um, I posit that because so much of the time we talk about this monoculture and it's swept through tech and media. But I suspect that when you were getting messages of support and as you've had conversations with people who work in these companies and people in VC and journalism, I suspect you've gotten messages of support from people who publicly don't have much right. to say about this. This is the Vaclav Havel Gringrother thesis, which if you've not read that essay from Vaclav Havel, the famous Czech dissident and eventual PM or president or whatever. It's the thought that in a totalitarian system, you've got your little greengrocer who just wants to go along. So he hangs the socialist poster in the in the front window of the store and he kind of goes along because to resist would be, you know, he's not a hero and he just goes along and that's the end of it. And so, yeah, you know, I've often asked myself that question. Is it, to use an Ixonian phrase, is there a silent majority of techies that think it's all rubbish and they sit through their little diversity training and kind of roll their eyes and click through to the end and then get, do their jobs? I suspect that's probably true. That said, if you think the silent majority is going to save you, you have to assume democracy works, right? Because guess what? There's a silent majority in Cuba that thinks the government's terrible and it's been there for 70 years and hasn't changed anything, right? You can have you can have a silent majority and you can have dictatorship together, right? It's only when you actually have a democratic system that those somehow resolve themselves. And so I think the silent majority is there. That doesn't make me think that this is just some passing moral panic. I think maybe there's a different way to go with that analogy, which is that Cuba, unlike Czechoslovakia, uh, say that was a homegrown 
socialism. It was definitely aided and abetted by the Soviet Union, but like it was a revolution and it was homegrown. You felt like you owned it. So the silent majority is a little bit more difficult to get. There definitely was a silent majority in most of occupied Central Europe. In Silicon Valley, if it truly was a silent majority of people who chafe at this stuff, I'm not sure it would happen to this degree. This is just me positing. I go there once every couple of years, and my biggest takeaway from it, and this is reinforced by talking to you even for uh, 10 minutes, is that everyone talks really fucking fast. You guys just do all of the cocaine <laughs> yeah. and the Adderall that Michael and Camille do with their hands on. Exactly. Uh, right. You're just like good. terrible fad diets yeah. and just talking fast. <laughs> and cool. like, you know, wh whatever it is, it's going to end the nation state like five years from now. Okay, great. I have no idea what you're Obviously. talking about. <laughs> uh, but uh, it seems like the modal Silicon Valley person, whatever that means, and it, it's, it can't mean anything on some level, is just way more supportive of that now than they could have been 10, 15 years ago. 20 years ago, the point of Silicon Valley politically was that it didn't have a point. It was like Harry Nilsson all the way down, right? We are going to be outside of politics, and that's why we actually do things. I always suspect that something was wrong with tech when you started seeing what I was sort of ambiguously called the pretty people, right? The people who come from good schools, who dress well and are walking in the mission. And it's like, dude, what the fuck are you doing in tech? Like my view of tech back in the day is almost like if you read Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential, right? The kitchen wasn't some fancy thing for somebody, you know, it was literally the rogue's last stop before prisoner trucking school, right? Who, which nonetheless managed to create interesting culture and dynamics. And if you look at, you know, the, the history of Steve Jobs, who dropped out of various schools, was unemployable, um, you know, was the total basket case. I mean, Steve Jobs would not last, would last even less time than I did <laughs> at his company today if his reincarnation were hired. And I think that that just doesn't exist anymore. It's, there's a straight pipeline from the Ivy League and the East Coast Borg to the West Coast, Silicon Valley sort of production function. And I think what that means is that yes, you've you've had the you know you've had the full software upload from the New York Times, and when you know the diversity inclusion committee comes around, you kind of nod your head and go along with it in a way that again I think you know Steve Jobs and Nolan Bushnell, founder of Atari in the '80s, just would not have done at all. In fact, Steve Jobs would have told all these people with all these petitions and fired all of them instantly. Yeah. Andy Grove would have done even worse. Um, and uh, but again, those those were those were different times. So where are we now? I mean, I think of this is when this stuff started really catching fire and in the world of journalism, the first kind of iteration of it, people were kind of laughing at it. They were like, oh, this is kind of crazy. It'll go away. It's a fad. And then there was that period of being fearful of it and just like, oh, God, I don't want to be on the wrong side of this because I see that early kind of. I don't, I don't want to say cancellations. It's a, it's a bad phrase for a lot of reasons. But people mm -hmm. just being driven out of positions or being ignored because of their politics. And then as Camille pointed out, and I think you, you both pointed out, Coinbase, Basecamp, these other things, there's a certain bit of pushback and these junior I Spartacus moments, you know, like I am Spartacus and people are coming out and saying, you know, hey, I, I'm on their side too. Now, it's atomized in a weird way that the Substacks and you have Barry Weiss and you have Sam Harris, and they seem to be drifting all into their own kind of camp. And it's a difficult thing now because you have to pay separately for all of them. And, you know, you, you see them on Twitter, etc. And they just seem to be running away from these traditional places. So I don't know where we are in journalism so much. But in, in tech, I mean, there has been a certain amount of pushback. 
And I mean, are, are we at a place now that this is kind of maybe, and this is of course the question everybody asks me all the time about journalism, are we at some sort of inflection point or approaching an inflection point? I mean, you saw the reaction to, to your firing, which was right. totally bananas. And right. the offenses weren't offenses, right? I mean, I'm looking right. at this and saying, who the fuck is, is, is leading this pitchfork mob? It's utterly mad. And you see the people that, as you said, came and, and sent you DMs and messages and called you, right. whatever. Was it, you know, did it make you feel better about the future of your industry? Um, you know, on a personal level, I, I don't know what it was. I think Christians would call it a sense of grace, I guess. But somehow when the whole thing blew up, it normally I'm a total basket case, by the way. And like, yeah. Provocations like this just I, I can have a panic attack faster than anybody. I'm zero to panic mm. attack very quickly But for some reason despite me being the focus of all of this rage attention, whatever, which I don't like by the way I'm, I'm not really a narcissist. I just I just play one on the internet and you know It, <laughs> it, it would normally drive me crazy, but in fact somehow it didn't and so I, I didn't really take it personally I don't even know well I vaguely have heard who kind of started some of these petitions and stuff, but I really don't care who they are um I, but I, yeah, I guess I felt heartened by it. I, I guess the question you're really asking, which is one I often ask myself, right? Which is, I mean, this whole woke thing, Latinx, or however you pronounce this word that can't be pronounced in Spanish, you know, these are obviously products of a top-down progressive white elite. Like, there's just no other way to describe it, right? I mean, it's it's a term that literally 96% of Hispanics either have never heard of, don't like, right? And yet somehow, I, I was literally just in, in a shopping, in a big high-end shopping center buying shirts for this thing, and they had like a big Latinx thing, because I guess it's Hispanic Heritage Month or something. It's like, how the fuck yeah. does this happen, right? And But it's obviously like an elite culture thing, and um, I often wonder, like, is there a center anymore, right? Because like, I've had four different careers or areas of my life from academia to now this media, whatever. And it's like, there is no center of the world. Nobody's really, everyone likes to think that, but there isn't. But so like, and, and like you said, like the whole power center of Substack, so many of the great individual voices, Andrew Sullivan, whose podcast I did today have gone to the indie model. Right. And so like, maybe it doesn't fucking matter that I'm not going to get mm -hmm. regularly published in whatever prestigious journal, but then other people say, well, actually guess what? But it, but the, it only the elites matter, right? At the end of the day, the institutional capture of Apple or Google or whatever hasn't budged one bit, right? Like the fact that there's room for me and Bari and Andrew Sullivan or whatever, that's all very nice. But it's not like it's not like the diversity and inclusion culture at Apple changed as a result, right? And so I, I don't know. It's, I, I don't know what the answer is. I think elites did, did are always- Did it change you yeah. at all in, in, a, in a sense of radicalizing you in a particular direction or changing, no. shifting your politics at all? That's what people thought. I mean, Mike Isaac, who I kind of dislike, but he's a New York Times, you know, he tweeted a thing, which I loved. I had to dunk on it because it was so dumb that he thought <laughs> I was going to go in the direction of that other guy who got fired from Google or whatever and become some right wing firebrand or whatever the hell, which, and I'm like, uh, did, yeah, did I really he become don't think a right wing firebrand? I, think or, I don't know. He's going to, he, he yeah. went, he smoking I, pot in Austin last time. Yeah. Yeah. I was he or whatever. He, you know, he talked to like the whole, like <laughs> far James right. James Damore we're talking about, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. James yeah. Damore. Okay. And, um, I, I hate to even say it cause then there's like an association subconsciously. Um, and, um, I don't know. And that, well, I guess what he's really expressing is that either you're inside our little, professional managerial mm -hmm. class or you're not. And yeah. if you're not earlier today, I was talking to Blake masters who is a Arizona Senate candidate. He's from the, the sort of teal universe, a techie actually trying to do politics that at the you know Senate national level, which is unique. Yeah, I, was, I was eavesdropping on that conversation. I want to talk about that. Okay. Well, we, we can, we can keep on chatting yeah. about it. Um, but he mentioned how, you know, I said that he reminded me of kind of FDR. FDR was like a class trader, right? In the sense that he came from a very upper class 
but yet he passed things like social security that obviously the, the wealthy hated. And then in some senses, he, or the new right, right, which I'm coining, I think, uh, people like Blake Masters, J.D. Vance, et cetera, are, are often from that milieu, but actually against it, right? Like, obviously, and I asked Blake Masters this, so I don't think he would object to the characterization. He came from that tech world, and yet now he feels that things like antitrust regulation for Facebook is something we should talk about, right? Which is not something you'd expect. Um, and so um, that's a form of class treason also. That's also you saying, I'm outside of the elite sphere, I'm out of it. So I, I think both Blake and I are not going to get the juicy Brooklyn brunch invites that maybe we would have had we parroted the party line, I guess. Wait, so you landed there too on the antitrust kind of new right um, side. Landed. I mean, he's been there though, right? Oh. 2019, you wrote Facebook is not a monopoly yeah. oh, funny that should you remember be that. broken up. Yeah, yeah, yeah funny well, that I mean, you remember I, that. Yeah, yeah. I, come on, you're, you're a guest on the podcast. I do my homework, man. Yeah. Oh God. Thank you. No, thank you, Camille. That's amazing. Somebody well, asked I, Well, th that Never piece heard is of basically <laughs> <laughs> that, so that piece is a steel manning of the antitrust case against Facebook. You know, as much as I just might dislike some of other of Elizabeth Warren's other positions, I think this one actually might be right. And so I um, want to talk about that too. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I'll, I'll, just, I'll stop rambling and let Camille actually run the damn show. Go ahead, Camille. No, I'm, no, I'm not. Fine. I'm not in charge here. Not really. Okay. Nobody in charge. Yeah, get into um, that. So that's an interesting a, topic. A few things really quickly. I think Michael Malice's last book was called The New Right for for the oh. good of the order. So it's it's out there. But I think when he was talking about it, there was a lot more conversation about like the alt-right and all sorts of other weird dynamics. I think the Josh Hawley, J.D. Vance nexus is a new thing. But I also right. think that it's an important dynamic that I desperately need help understanding. So I want to talk about that. But But before we move on, my suspicion, my strong suspicion at this point is that a lot of this stuff has perhaps peaked in some way. And the key question here is the degree to which people are going to have a clear sensibility about what the hell their convictions are beyond hating the other side, but actually defining some values, sufficient courage to actually speak out, um, and the resilience to bounce back when they do find themselves in the throes of this stuff. And in the case of the tech industry and industry more broadly, as opposed to like government, the product does suffer at some point. Journalism has suffered, I think, profoundly as a consequence of the culture wars. If this is having a meaningful impact on the bottom line, if this is undermining your ability to produce good product, compete and maintain your audience, that will have consequences. I think it matters when Spotify spends $350 million to acquire Gimlet and then they have to gut the single most valuable, perhaps the only profitable show in their lineup in Reply right. All because of a nonsensical controversy, that has consequences. At some point, you fail. The fact that Joe Rogan has survived there, all of that suggests to me that there is a real risk of overestimating the power of this stuff. And the thing that seems most urgently important to me is people getting off the sideline, people who have influence in the industry, who have a track record of building and doing amazing things, just standing up and saying honest things like what you're doing is insane and moving towards the mission protocols um, thing, which Coinbase and, and Brian didn't define, but I think is a reasonable, sane model for companies to gravitate to. Can you give a 20-second uh, definition of the mission protocols for uh, the normies? Well, I'll, I'll define it in my own way. <laughs> a company that declares itself mission-focused is a company that focuses on building a world-class team to accomplish some important goal. So at Coinbase, they want to completely reimagine and redesign the global financial system. It's a huge problem. 
It requires commitment to one another as team members, a willingness not to presume bad faith, you know, the kind of stuff that woke traversies often inspire. And I think it also puts you at odds with the prevailing winds. You are both against discrimination, but you're probably not going to be in favor of, say, equity as a standard for deciding who gets promoted and what you're doing professionally as an organization. And when people join the company, you're clear about the fact that you're focusing on mission and that the single best thing your organization can do to change the world isn't parroting the latest, completely undifferentiated slogan about social justice bullshit. It's by actually getting down to the serious business of accomplishing your mission together successfully. And I think there you is... You mean like running a company. That's what it sounds like to me. Seriously. It's just like running, isn't that what you do? Your company. Yeah. So I, think I want to make a, a great crypto to product. To, to just have that catch on and be the vibe. And I think there's a natural inclination towards that. So now I'm like on a soapbox, but there is a question in there, which is, Antonio, am I wrong about this? At a minimum, like, it seems I might be right. In which case, I worry about the <laughs> pessimism that's dominating a lot of this stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, one theory I've heard that I believe is that like the business world is going to split into like woke and non-woke to some degree. And the non-woke companies will I know just, where I'm investing. <laughs> right, right, right. We'll, we'll just come up front and say like, no, and that's it. And we just... It's it's a pre-selected thing who would get a job there. I mean, one of my theories of this, by the way, and, and I'm sure Palmer would not dislike the comparison. If you go to the jobs page for uh, Andrew, which is this defense startup, mm-hmm. uh, which you know Palmer Lucky, fact, Trace yeah, Palmer Stevens, Lucky, yeah, right, right. I mean, the fact that it's defense is already kind of a screen, but you go to their careers page, and there's like this enormous American flag that apparently is in one of their like big shop spaces, and like here it is, it's this flag as big as the flag behind George C. Scott and Patton, and that's yeah. just what it is on the jobs page, and like. I guess that's the garlic to the woke vampire or whatever, right? That you just see that and just like, okay, I'm not applying, click away or whatever. And so I, I, I think that's, yeah, that's probably going to happen. Some companies are going to make statements and it'll just be self-selecting. And sure, I mean, they might actually outpace the woke companies. I don't know. But I, I still think, I don't know. It, it all Again, it's the long march to the institutions, to use the Marxist phrase, right? If you've already got, you know, young, junior hires who come out of, Ivy League institutions with this software uploaded, it's gonna be a little hard to to rip it out of their heads when they actually yeah. get jobs in their late twenties. Stop uh, hiring yeah. those people. <laughs> no, I mean the it. thing about it, that's a, the Antonio Gramsci phrase: "Who ended right. up in prison and Italy didn't end up communist, but <laughs> 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 because of the CIA after the war." But the thing about Facebook, and let's just let's throw this out here for the kind of you know casual user, people who don't know the names of these companies, the names of these these uh, these uh, tech people. If we talked about this a little bit last night on the Patreon, if you look at Facebook right now, and Facebook is the bet noir of a lot of people saying like, oh my goodness, they've gone, you know, the, the Hunter Biden stuff, et cetera. And these, there's real problems there. And there's, you know, real problems that we've talked about uh, on this podcast uh, quite extensively. But if you look at the, you know, the top, you know, performing political stuff on Facebook now, uh, Dan Bongongo, <laughs> Uh, by John Joe, bon yeah, yeah, be John, nice, John nice Bon Jovi, whatever the be fuck nice that guy is. Yeah. Half of your heritage, uh-huh. yeah, I don't know. That, that yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, I can say that. Uh, you know, is that Ben Shapiro? A lot of people. So this stuff does perform exceptionally well, and then the overheated commentary of people saying, "Oh my God, the vaccine stuff and all this misinformation on Facebook." They still seem to be saying this as if it is trickling through to their crazy uncle and their crazy grandmother, etc. So it does seem as if Facebook is allowing 
these popular posts by popular conservatives to get through and kind of run the tables on these uh, top 10, top 20 lists. I mean, is that, am I wrong? What am I missing in that beyond the kind of Hunter Biden big controversies? Yeah, it's true. It's one of the weirdest things that like, you know, it, if, if Facebook is actually squelching conservative thought on Facebook, they sure are doing a bad job of it. Because if you look at yeah. like, the top 10 most popular posts, it's like, what the fuck? Ben Shapiro just completely dominates um, but again, I, I think it goes back to the business of media bubbles. Facebook has obviously become kind of a, a boomer, older person platform. Like I, I don't, I mean, I work there and I'm pro the company, but I, I don't use it. And yeah, I so, um, I mean, there might be something to the fact that in some sense, the contested spaces are the elite spaces, right? And if you've managed to find what is a non-contested space and if Facebook is essentially becoming a boomer platform, like in some sense, maybe it matters less and, and. I mean, the Josh Hollies of the world might matter because, of course, they're going to get play there. But I don't know. Um, but that but that would sort of run counter to your agreement with Elizabeth Warren on this, that one yeah. doesn't need antitrust regulation against a, a company that's becoming a, a, an old, desiccated bossify. Awesome. Yeah. Right? Uh, well, so my argument there, if we want to address that, is that, um, you know, a lot of antitrust law is based literally on the railroad era, right? And mm -hmm. impact to consumers and pricing and of course, in the case of Facebook, there's no pricing. I mean, antitrust law just can't even be applied to tech companies. And um, if you look at something like their portfolio of companies like Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, there's no obvious reason why those should be actually owned by one company. There actually is no synergy there, really. Um, there's enormous advantage to Facebook, of course, because the operational and tech infrastructure overhead of running these companies is obviously a lot easier to scale altogether, right? And so if you were to try to take down WhatsApp, it'd be very, very difficult to do just because of all the rest of Facebook as well. And so right. um, I think that, that to me is really the strong argument. It doesn't, the, the, first, the first Amendment thing, yeah, I mean, it's an issue. It's weird, to, it's weird that we think about Facebook more than the Supreme Court when it comes to effectively you know, legislating what is free speech. There is, there is a quote unquote Supreme Court at Facebook. Watch out for the we definition. Well, well yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm using the New York Times yeah. we, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it's a little weird. That's one of the things that I think that's, there's a lot of mega themes going on and I try to figure out like what those background themes are. One of them is that right. obviously corporate life is taking over a lot of what used to be taken by government or or more democratic institutions, right? So defining COVID policy is now being left to corporations because we're not we don't really have an effective national policy. What is free speech? What SCOTUS says actually isn't that important. It's what Facebook says. It just and I think it's weird because I th I think people people have a creeping sense of unfairness when corporations who have no democratic accountability start regulating key parts of their lives. I think that's what gives everybody the heebie-jeebies at the end of the day. But um, we can opt out of the corporation. We can't opt out of government. I mean, that's the basic fundamental definition here. No, I don't give a shit about Facebook. Facebook didn't sway my vote in the election. I don't use it. Um, you know, I'm sure it influences. I, you know, we'll look at it once a month and granted it's, you know, a lot of other people use it too, but um, it can't take my money and spend it in stupid ways. It can't tell, uh, you know, uh, employers of, of companies of more than 100 people that they have to mandate vaccines into their arms. Can't do so many things that affect our lives, right? We're, uh, we're well, right now. We're things, talking. But it can't use guns. <laughs> can't use right. guns. This is this is a this is a week in which you know allegedly we could see a 3.5 trillion dollar piece of legislation passed. Which Fingers is bananas. Crossed. It's bigger <laughs> than any year's worth of government spending all the way up until 2009. Um, uh, it's not going to pass, but whatever. It's crazy. That's government with guns doing things. It seems to me like this, 
it's really easy to get pissed off at Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Um, and it's really easy to make a case that there's they're in cahoots either with Democratic politicians or with journalists like cheering on the censorship of things like the Hunter Biden story. I get all of that. But a lot of this just seems like an irritable fucking gesture about people who are on the wrong side of a culture war saying, I'm I'm Josh Hawley. I'm going to punish Facebook. It He looks like a fucking 13 year old. Seriously. No, no. I, I, I want to yeah. punish the thing that the, the guy who did the bad. And it's not serious thinking to me. Uh, let me add one more thing to this, because um, to Antonio's point, I mean, I do understand this stuff and we've had. A lot of conversations here that have, you know, addressed a lot of stuff in very similar ways to what Antonio is talking about now. So the concern is real. I, I totally understand it. A little, uh, for, uh, you know, we're how many months from the old Hunter Biden stuff, but it was a bit ago, right? And there was a story mm -hmm. the other day in Politico that that polit that a guy from Ben Schreckringlinger or something, <laughs> some German, uh, wrote a book. Uh, and in his reporting, he did what a bunch of people have done before him, but everyone now Politico is saying it is actually real, but uh, said that we have confirmed the emails, right? The reporting on this was pretty interesting because every bit of reporting presumed you knew what the fuck they were talking about. So to me, I looked at that and said, oh God, this was a totally unsuccessful bid to actually shut down this story. To, and I get that in the, right before an election, you have a mega corporation saying, you cannot read this stuff. That is trouble. the New York Post off Twitter for yeah, a week. That is fucking crazy. Right. And we've talked ad infinitum about how fucking crazy that is. But um, then you look at the number of people who aren't vaccinated, right? And everyone say, ah, oh, you know, this uh, Facebook stuff. I don't know why I'm Norm MacDonald all of a sudden. Hey, you know, this, this Facebook. <laughs> I don't know they're doing with that vaccine stuff there. Uh, but that also appears uh, not to have worked despite this campaign of appending, you know, this uh, information is going to kill you and kill your family mm -hmm. and the rest of it. People still seem to be saying, okay, fine. I'm going to judge this on my own. And to talk to them about the atomization of these things, I mean, Ben Shapiro's stuff is big because of this. The more they do this, the bigger people like Ben Shapiro grow. Yeah, the Daily true. Wire, his thing, his podcast. He is doing uh, talk shows now with that uh, that woman who uh, who's uh, uh, you know uh, hates Camille or Camille hates her. What's her name? <laughs> can't, gonna have to narrow the that. black lady. I don't hate her. She doesn't hate <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah, you don't like her. But you we're don't also like not you, related. This You're is not an important, important uh, fact yes, you that are. I want to yes, make you certain to get out there. You are both <laughs> seriously <laughs> oppressed. Um, so, you know, they're doing like a show that it looks like, you know, The View or something. They're just doing an end run around the traditional boring media and doing their own thing. So, and, and to, to bounce this back to you, Antonio, is that what I get, and again, I'm on your side about this stuff, of how crazy it is. But how crazy it is should stand kind of separate from how effective it is. Do you think when you see the stuff that Facebook is actually effective at preventing information, the wrong information, the bad information from uh, infecting the brains of the, the, the dummy hoi polloi? Or fill in Facebook with Twitter. Yeah, whatever, know, whatever big, it is. Yeah, yeah, Big evil Google. I mean, look, if we're to, if we're to take the long view, right, to the mass yeah. media world that came before social media, obviously not, right? That dissenting message. I mean, the fact that FDR was in a wheelchair and no one in America knew about it for years. Yeah. Like, how the yeah. hell do you keep that under wraps? Well, yeah. that that really is an elite sort of, you know, cohort that <laughs> is maintaining a certain reality that's not reality, right? Um, and sure, that that's not happening now. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of the privacy paranoia, I think a lot of it's misplaced. A lot of the, the authoritarianism 
paranoia is also misplaced. Like a lot of stuff is around the vaccine, right? If we have vaccine mandate, it's an Orwellian future. I, I don't know. I just, I might've believed that when I was younger, as I've gotten older and a lot of these moral panics, like after a while, you need the dictatorship to start <laughs> to keep on thinking that the dictatorship's going to happen. Um, mm. I don't know. I'm, I'm more skeptical of it, but so yeah, no, I mean, that gets back to my original question of like, obviously media is fragmented, not, not just media reality. We have em- epistemic fracture in this world, how you prove something to be true and what is true some people still think Russiagate and Cambridge Analytica and all that, that was just a pile of bullshit, literally right. completely trumped up nonsense, literally trumped up nonsense, was yeah. true. And they still think they do. And there's nothing that's going to convince them otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I, one side of me thinks you cannot have a country of 330 million people stretching across four time zones with a $20 trillion economy who all believe different <laughs> that one believes that the sun rises in the east and the other in the west and neither the twain shall meet. That seems... It, impossible to me. On the other hand, there's uh, this guy, Bruno Machais, who's like a Portuguese, uh, mm-hmm. European, yeah. what I had him on pull request. One of his books is about how Americans have opted into this illusory reality in which you sort of choose your, your virtual reality. reality. And, and since relatively little of that actually meets the real meat space world, like who cares? Mm-hmm. They can keep on mm-hmm. believing in Russiagate, like, so what? Um, of course, the problem is, you know, quote unquote, when the barbarians show up either literally or figuratively in Afghanistan, uh, you know, this 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 America that's choosing illusions about the world can't quite handle, uh, you know, the Taliban who, you know, don't seem very active on Facebook, although that might change now that they're in power. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, I, I don't know, maybe maybe we are converging to a singularity where the physical world doesn't really exist. And um, it sort of matters. But I think at now some point, you're talking like a Silicon Valley. <laughs> I know. Got that's that's spirit, what I was looking for. The spirit yeah. of apology is taking over yes. me. And that's right. And it gets rid of, of, just to be clear, it gets rid of the nation state. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. We're pioneering new states in the cloud on the blockchain. Yeah. Excuse um, me, DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. Go ahead. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the clarification. It's, it's interesting because I've spent a lot of time in recent weeks and days listening to and hanging out with conservatives and some cases like conservative insiders. I've listened to likely presidential candidates talk about tech policy. And when I hear them saying things and I can't tell if Elizabeth Warren was just in the room, it's disorienting. It's especially disorienting when it's greeted by intense applause. Yeah, like, I'm going to break up Facebook and Google and Twitter and Amazon and Apple and it's like, oh, really? And then what? How does this work exactly? <laughs> and to defend this on the merits of like conservative values. At some point in the past, conservative values used to mean something like a healthy suspicion of concentrations of power, at least rhetorically. Whether or not they actually did that was different. Now they've even vacated that rhetorical space. And it makes me feel very strange. And I find myself having to ask very basic questions about antitrust and property rights and the weird dance that I see people doing. And this actually pertains to some of what we talked about earlier, just kind of existential dread that people have about the state of the polity and the likelihood that their ideas will never win again. It justifies doing anything and abandoning all principles because the only thing that matters is this civilizational conflict between the woke and everyone else who is sane. And it just strikes me as a very dangerous and, and frankly, reactionary place to find yourself because I can't find a way to justify, say, breaking up Amazon, for example, who only just this past year 
after the pandemic drove all of this incredible societal change and drove purchases online, managed to surpass Walmart in sales. And even then, they're influential, they're important, but you can compete. Like having a product that you build and that you sell yourself direct to consumer, absent Amazon, is not just possible, it's a value add, it's a feature. And a lot of this conversation about Section 230 people who want to abandon that as though it doesn't provide any value more broadly, the, the characterizations that I see of it from serious conservatives who don't seem to understand how the internet works, even technology people who are running for office who should know better, they talk about it and they say casually, and I heard Blake do this today, and I've met Blake, and I think he's a nice guy, but I heard him do it today, we've got to get rid of Section 230. The devil is in the details, he says. Motherfucker, <laughs> those are some important details. <laughs> Absolute Section 230. Like the internet does not work as we know it. Seriously, it is not a special set aside for social media companies. It literally allows for reviews on the internet. The internet would be an impoverished place absent Section 230. So if you want to change that, I need to know what you plan to do. Because my suspicion is the real lesson when it comes to antitrust isn't that um, the trusts were lower, were um, raising prices and degrading supply. The trust expanded output and lowered prices. The antitrust regime was arbitrary. It was easily hijacked by industry and it was used to suppress competition. And Mark Zuckerberg has already floated, and I'm sure Mark is a nice guy, but he's already floated his proposal for what the new regime ought to look like. And I bet you a couple billion dollars, and I feel safe doing that despite the fact that I ain't got the money, that if he had his way, <laughs> it would be a regime that protected the incumbents to the disadvantage of consumers. And it's particularly disturbing that Democrats and Republicans want the same thing for different reasons. And I, the only thing that seems likely to happen is the ossification of industry, already companies that are less innovative than they proclaim to be in many respects, they become even less so. The com country becomes less con competitive, perhaps. Like I, I see a lot of drawbacks to a lot of this hysteria over tech policy, and I just need someone to explain it to me. Just tell me why this is happening and where are all the people who used to defend, I don't know, free markets and competition and property rights and such. I think there's still a need for those things. Uh, you know, Camille, it's funny. I don't know if you've ever seen the subreddit um, Stormfront or SJW that, as the name implies, like you post stuff and you can't quite tell whether it's actually some vicious Nazi website or the latest issue <laughs> of like whatever the SJW software drop. So it's like, you know, whiteness is punctuality, industriousness yeah. and frugality. It's yeah, like, yeah. wait, is that a Nazi screed or is that the latest yeah. like anti-racist drop of corporate training? I don't quite understand because I can't quite distinguish them. Yeah, we have a lot of weird horseshoes in our current body politic. And one of them, you know, that thing where Blake, where he said the 230 thing also kind of surprised me. I mean, it's weird. You hear some of these statements. It's the same deal. It's like, hmm, is this like a Berkeley commie or is this, in fact, the populist nationalist <laughs> conservative presidential candidate or whatever? It's like the answer yeah, is yes. It's, it is a little. Um, <laughs> what, what's that? Which one? I said the, the answer, answer is, is yes. 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 It's both. Um, There's been yeah. a lot of strange new respect. I mean, you, you invoked the FDR earlier. I've seen yes. a lot of populist nationalist conservatives talk about like, you know what? You're right. FDR was good. That's like a, a new thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, Let me, capital, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I mean, in this, because it, it, it kind of it dovetails into this, I sent Camille and Matt a link today of a story, and Camille will remind me the name of the company, but uh, it is a company that's basically creating 
uh, or trying to create uh, social media on the blockchain. No, Big and Cloud. Basically, yeah. what's it called? Big Cloud? Yeah, Big Cloud. And saying that, oh, this is a decentralized social media platform. Now, I mean, I did a story for HBO about blockchain and it was, you know, all the people, little overheated promises, but it's really, really promising at the same time and really interesting. And Tony, like what, what do you, as somebody who's been inside uh, the world of Silicon Valley, do you hope in a way that, you know, fuck Elizabeth Warren and these people, this, the solution to this will come from interesting tech innovation like blockchain? in decentralizing things like Facebook. Oh man, you're asking me to wait on crypto. That's like, <laughs> why don't we just talk about like gun policy and abortion where we're at it just to, <laughs> to really get the trolls lined up. Or some you could, new you could take other that, thing. You could take that with, yeah. with, with tech broadly. I mean, I, I saw yeah. um, a, a quote the other day in a, in a book that I was reading. I think it was Woke Inc. Gosh, the name of the author is escaping me at the moment. Vivek Ramaswamy. some novels, Yes, man. Vivek. I, I mean, I didn't want to mispronounce his name, but I met Vivek. We talked for a little bit. I, I like I like Vivek. I think he's wrong about some things. But one of the points that he makes is, you know, and actually I think he's interviewing uh, a prominent VC whose name is not mentioned in the book because they were too afraid to, to actually say this publicly. But they say something along the lines of 17 people approximately control all of the infrastructure for the internet. And that's scary and we need to do something about it. And one of the things that Vivek wants to do about it, for example, is maybe make conservatives a protected class of citizen. And <laughs> like, to me, this is just like all so absurd. One, because if you're actually at the point where you need protections like that, if you're reading this, it's too late. Um, but if you're not, to think that this is becomes a core plank of your political ideology, your side doesn't have ideas anymore they don't have a platform they can run on something that they can sell to people to make them vote for them it's just if we don't stop them they're going to destroy us all it's just i don't know man but anyways the, the whole industry could be hijacked in a moment 17 odd people i think that might be a good analogy to what moynihan was talking about with BitCloud, because the question is well if facebook is a monopoly do you need to break them up take them over and regulate the market or do you just try to build your way out of this yeah, I mean, the, the crypto thing, I mean, I'll address it a little bit because I've had this debate with people that, Camille, you and I probably know who are, you know, are early crypto people, who yeah. are reasonable people, not some of them tend to be a little bit extreme. Um, <laughs> you know, and my skepticism around about crypto, aside from like, what is it like technically efficacious, right? Like a lot of the crypto solutions is like, dude, like a MySQL database would just solve a lot of this problem. I don't see why you need to have this <laughs> decentralized public ledger, blah, 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 to track, right. I don't know, <laughs> tomatoes that Walmart's shipping right, around. Right. Like you just don't fucking yeah. eat it. Um, yeah. But, all it, of the, but, the energy output of Greenland, right. Iceland. Well, that's a little bit overstated, but yeah, but it Slavic definitely countries. seems a little, right, but it seems a little wasteful. <laughs> you know, but that said, that said, you know, things like Bitcoin are actually actively used in Cuba as a way to get around like the, the government mm -hmm. control. And so and I, right. I, I'm not I'm not a crypto skeptic in the usual sense, to be clear, where, yeah. where I am a little bit skeptical of the crypto plan to like liberate you from the world is that at some point that crypto world has to meet the fiat like, you know, flesh and blood world that we all actually live in. Right. The servers and are somewhere. I, yeah. Well, this, yeah, the servers are physically somewhere. Uh, unless we really are a crypto first economy, like I still can't like buy a house or pay my kids tuition in crypto, right? I can't get a mortgage in crypto and, and even decentralized stuff like, like, well, you see it play out in Cuba, right? Like 
at some point, if you really control the link layer and you control the banking around it, how you pay your cell phone bill, like at some point, it's, it's hard to escape all that unless you build a parallel society, which I think many of the most ambitious crypto people expect to actually do. And mm -hmm. so if you really swing for the fences there and you're literally replicating everything from AWS to Bank of America to Facebook with a crypto alternative, then, hey, you know, maybe you do get there. Maybe I, you still need carriers like AT&T and ISPs to actually run the core infrastructure. I don't think they're going to run their own fiber optic cable. But um, but yeah, I think you'd have to get there to really feel the liberating effects of that. But again, I, and this is one of the things that obsesses me, and I don't know how, how serious we want to get into this in this podcast after a beer, but one of, one of the things that drives me crazy, I just don't understand how the hell we get out of it, is this decoupling of you know information from where you physically are right like i think we're all probably relatively old enough here to remember the day of letters remember we used to be letters like you used to like stamp a thing you get a letter and that's how people communicated like calls were expensive and whatnot and so we're in a world in which obviously that's horribly dated and the worlds that we all inhabit are you know the names the faces the values the stories have nothing to do with our geography our politics or our linguistic environment right like you have you people have way more in common than your fans in india say or wherever than you possibly do with someone well camille and i are a few miles away from each other 60 miles east of her modesto or whatever we're living in a parallel reality and, and yet that you know that those people in modesto and camille and i are nominally under the same government and presumably have to compromise via the political system on how we run our lives right and i think that that decoupling of the virtual from the real I don't know. I think it's very difficult. I mean, you, you see it in the U.S., right? We don't really have blue and red states. We have an archipelago of blue cities and a sea of red is what we have, right? And how do you reconcile that through any sort of political process? Anyhow, sorry to suddenly get all fucking serious. No, but, but like, um, uh, but part of the, I, I think about that in, uh, in terms not of, of politics, but of the possibility to link up with people I grew up in a boring upper middle class suburb in Long Beach, California, and I would have loved to meet people who were like minded outside of my meathead high school. It would have been great. Right. Like, uh, you know, it might have uh, ushered in, probably would, given that I was the recipient uh, here and I was not very well uh, adjusted in many ways. But, um, you know, probably would have uh, caused all kinds of new problems. But, I mean, what do you do when you leave? the cocoon, you go out and you forge new things. Well, the technology allows you to find those communities. You know, if you are in, if you are absolutely outnumbered in a given community for whatever reason, for whatever reason, literally, you're the only person or one of three people in a small place or even a big place that is identifiable in X way, um, technology allows you to link up with that. I, I see that as just like, cool, that's great. There's some bro in Modesto or in Clovis or in Fresno, or I know a lot of people um, who likes the angels as much as I do and also appreciates Hunter Thompson books and Bill James books and whatever. And that's just great. And maybe if we didn't think about politics all day long, we wouldn't be so obsessed about the negative uh, externalities of the male split. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the positive story, which obviously is super is great. That's the great use case. Again, the negative use case is that you've got a neighbor that you have no common values or narratives with, and you still lead a complete life, right? That you're not like living an impoverished life. But I, I don't know. There's something to the fabric of civic of civil society that I think the internet actually does kill. I think one of the, the again, I'm as pro tech as anybody. I've worked in tech for 20 years, but I, I do think that the internet has this bizarre property of demolishing consensus and and notions of expertise and institutions. And, and it often isn't very generative. It's generative in some ways, but I think there's many of the things that it destroys, 
it, it can't actually replace or it hasn't replaced Maybe yet. there's a degrading of immediately present physical community. I think that I think there's a case for that. Right, right. You know, I didn't quite realize that. I actually lived in a, a little island in the northwest of, of Washington for a while. And I didn't quite realize how, you know, Facebook was kind of like, what did I used to say? Facebook is a real community, like porn is to real sex, right? It's like this crappy digital version that nobody would actually use if they had access Crap. to the real thing. <laughs> well, I know what you're watching. Sorry, I, I don't yeah. pay for the good stuff that I watch is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to thank you to our uh, listener, John, who's a, uh, a purveyor of pornography. That's right. And, uh, and, a friend of oh, that's right. and for our sponsor, yeah. Pornhub. Yeah. Who, uh, yes. yeah. I mean, <laughs> trust me, Pornhub if we were, if we're going to do it. need to advertise. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wait a second. Sex on the internet? Is this videos? Amazing. Yeah. Oh, you use the video function? Yeah, I was. I was <laughs> I'm still gonna get. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm waiting for my uh, my print subscription to Pentest Forum to run out because I'm just reading the letters because it's just much yeah. more imagination involved. Yeah, we we had that conversation about the <laughs> the, the archives of Playboys that that Matt inherited. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, he inherited. oh you got one of those too? Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's just because the writing is so yes. great. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's the artwork, and you know. Actually, it, it did used to be. It used to publish major authors, actually. But um, I know that's what know. I heard. Yeah. 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 Did, did, are you are you well actualing Playboy yeah. for the writing? Yeah. yeah. I'm well, well actualing Playboy for the writing. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> um, well, yeah. I mean, look. There's there's a universe of things that we can talk about. I think there are are tangible concerns. The rules matter. We have property rights and we have intellectual property rights and it may or may not be optimized for the best outcomes. And in many respects, there are genuine tensions between the individual privacy and the ability of anyone to publish something denigrating you online. Europe has tried to tangle with some of this stuff with the right to be forgotten. The question right. of whether mm -hmm. or not we're getting that balance right is a legitimately important conversation for us to be engaged in. The difficulty for me is that we're engaged in this very demonstrative, speculative politics. We disregard the facts and the complexity and the nuance, and it matters if we undermine Apple's ability to compete in the marketplace. It matters if we're pretending that Facebook is a monopoly and we're ignoring the fact that in the last couple of years, Apple has become one of the most substantial critics of Facebook and one of the most substantial obstacles to their future success and viability. Their whole business is targeted advertising and Apple, Google at all have essentially gone after the core of their business. Whether or not Facebook is a juggernaut 10 years from now is anybody's guess. And it's possible that, you know, by trying to freeze everything in place through antitrust and regulation because they threw the president off of Facebook, I think it's consequential that they threw the president off, off of Facebook. I also think it's the case that the president wasn't deleted from the internet. And there is a massive difference between the two things. He couldn't tweet anymore, but I didn't have trouble figuring out what it was he had to say. And in as much he as did kind of disappear, Biden, though, didn't he? He disappeared, he did. though. He did. Yeah. Kind of I, mean, sunset. I mean, that is he's, actually true. He's bidding on Hunter Biden who lost the NFTs. presidential election. <laughs> like, that's the thing. What's yeah. unusual he's here is the degree to which he's still prominent, despite the he's fact a... that he just had a major loss. Yeah. <laughs> he's working on his paintings. You would expect to go away. I mean, that's what, that's what we do. I mean, that's what politics is. It's all a series of weird counterfactuals. But the weirdest counterfactual is... Like, is is the one you, you know, you obviously can't know, but imagine if, and I want people to think about this and, you know, send us what you think this world utopian or dystopian would be if all of these policies, the ones from, you know, Elizabeth Warren, as unformed as they are, 
or Ron DeSantis. Uh, it's not, you know, b- both sides of this issue. Death Santa. De- yeah, <laughs> yeah, death Santa, um, or whatever they call yeah, it. Listen now. to the Patreon. Listen to the Patreon. Yeah, if you if you were to actually have implemented those at a time, say 2013, say 2014. I mean, I remember the Instagram thing was like, oh my god, Facebook buying Instagram. There's going to be an integration of these two products that never really took off they keep on saying do you want to post this shit on facebook i'm like what book i don't know (laughs) picture my kid i don't really want to put it everywhere um but if that if those things had happened would we be in a better place now again it's a crazy counterfactual there's nothing i can say about this do i would i have this apple watch on my wrist that tells me my blood sugar every five minutes or would this not have been uh, developed for various reasons. I mean, it, it, the thing about it is the technology of iOS 15, which just came out, is pretty impressive in certain elements. And I know that Antonio can't talk about this at all. Even I, he's going to be sued <laughs> if he talks about iOS 15. But if you if if these things were actually implemented, and of course everybody and the conservative side has this amazing idea right around the time of Donald Trump's 2020 election. They didn't have this idea before. They had this idea then. Like, oh, shit, I didn't realize that this was happening. Let's break them up. Had they been broken up, what would our technology look like now? Because the technology is pretty incredible. I kind of doubt, and again, I can't prove this, I kind of doubt that it would be as incredible as it is if Amazon, Facebook, Apple, et cetera, had been broken up into component parts and said, you guys, you know, on your own, just do this on your own. I just think that it would be, you know, less technologically interesting than it is today. Nancy I, I can't Pelosi prove that, would but be I there just to guess. help coordinate and get everything done. I mean, she would essentially Thank be God. the project manager for the next yes. build of uh-huh. OSX, which I mean, you would know <laughs> for big tech over here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. What is it? she'd be doing? Uh, what was it? IBM's? Was it Wave? Was that the OS, their, their operating system that never took off? You're, yeah. you're, you're joking, but one of, the, one, of the, one of the stories shared uh, to me by Mark Andreessen, uh, one of his first jobs was actually as an internship at IBM. And IBM actually had an antitrust breakup thing. And there actually yeah, was a Justice right. Department official in every product meeting approving the final product. That's Is that amazing. right? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Sounds and, bad. and of course, Sounds like bad. both with IBM, with Microsoft, <laughs> just before like these, well, as these antitrust efforts were taking off, like these companies sort of fell from the pinnacle and were overthrown by upstarts who came from nowhere yeah. and just just took took the throne. No one expected Google to come from nowhere and just become the most important company, one of the well, most important Well, but that argues against your point, Camille. You, you just argued that you're going to kill innovation by splitting them up, and you just said that actually innovation happened when you split them up. Well, well, that's just it. It's possible we could jeopardize innovation. It's also possible, perhaps even more likely, we're going after the problem we imagined existed while new problems are emerging because we just can't keep up with the pace of innovation. Um, so my, my whole thing is it's complicated and I just don't know how to make heads or tails out of a lot of this stuff. My suspicion is that most of the predictions that are being made today about tech are going to be wrong. Just most of them, even uh, particularly, mine. Particularly when they're made by the government. I mean, the, who has, I mean, you looked, a great example of this is a couple of good examples. The most recent one is watching the hearing on Robin Hood. And I thought they had brought in a bunch of like Bulgarian immigrants who had never seen a computer. They're like, 
the questioning was like, I wait, this is a fucking SNL skit. They literally have no idea what they're talking about. Made me look smart. It, yeah, Matt was like, you guys are idiots. I'm like, no, Matt just Matt just said that. You know that, right? Yeah. He's he's like pouring water <laughs> on his computer. Um, he's like, no, that's how you started. But the, the amazing thing about it is like, all you have to do when you look at antitrust stuff is look at the government, tech brilliant people that they are, look at the history of these antitrust uh, uh, cases in the past. And my favorite one, of course, is the panic the breathless panic, both in Europe and the United States, about the bundling of Internet Explorer. It's going to crush all future browsers. And now I, I built um, a PC. And so I, I finally have a PC again, a Windows machine again. And I open it up and I'm like, what the fuck is Microsoft Edge? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I guess I'm not going to use this one now. But it is that kind of panic. When you look back, the track record is really, really bad at allowing uh, the United, particularly the United States government. I mean, the European regulators are even worse in a lot of ways uh, on a lot of tech issues. They're better on medical stuff. But, you know, the, giving them the keys here, they just haven't done great things with them. And they've misunderstood so much stuff that it, that it worries me to ever allow them to do this stuff in the future. Maybe. I mean, the, the counter argument to that, I mean, hate to be the devil's advocate is that no, no, do. Go it's, ahead. It's, do it, true that, it's true that Microsoft kind of lost the internet and was behind it. That said, none of the tech companies have ever really been unseated. Like Microsoft has never lost the desktop. Google has never lost search. Facebook arguably may never lose parts of social media, right? Like these companies were not actually uh, you know, ousted. Uh, mm. I mean, I don't how much traction <laughs> you claim they had to begin with, but I, I'm thinking no, like it's a you youth, get the youth and music, social media. You get the total monopoly, and then boom, you just lose it, right? Because competition comes. It, that's somewhat rare. You just create a new greenfield in which they don't dominate, and that ends up being more important, like the internet was to the desktop or social media yeah. was to search. Um, yeah. But no, so, I see the point. Yeah. And, and to there, Matt's there point about MySpace, of that, sure. Yeah, and the MySpace thing is funny because it, you know it's it's not as if non-tech companies are smarter than governments about these things. I talked to somebody who was very instrumental in the whole MySpace acquisition uh, at News Corp. Uh, no, no, at, um, what was it? Um, it was News Corp that got it. But there was another company, a big one, which I probably shouldn't name because this person can probably be identified, who was tasked with bringing it in and was fired because he did not get MySpace. And he once told me, this is the greatest reason to ever get fucking fired from a huge <laughs> job at a company. Um, and he got fired for this. But yeah, I mean, it's also private companies don't understand this stuff either. It moves so fast. I don't know if anybody yeah. understands it when you actually when you actually look at it. But no, I, Antonio, I see, I see your point on this. It is, though, this stuff naturally ebbs and flows, and you've seen all these kind of movements, not major movements, not, you know, uh, you know, uprooting, say, Google, but stuff that Google hasn't done well or mm -hmm. other big companies like Facebook, for instance, and all of these innovators coming in. I mean, to Camille's point, we were talking about this before you came on when we were just, you know, uh, preparing for this, um, about these, the panic about these companies that do things very well and that are gobbled up. By by Google or mm -hmm. Facebook or you know like we just got eaten by the by our competitor like, like Instagram um, they, they get yeah the threat, yeah the threat like we're going to compete with you unless you allow us to turn you into a millionaire like that's gonna happen. <laughs> it's always really <laughs> for the people some, involved it's always a really FTC tough decision to stop these malicious practices <laughs> by <laughs> by Facebook yeah yeah you can go start a Which, yoga colony I don't know and, maybe I should uh, be more concerned about that. But I, I do think that there's something to be learned, something instructive about like Google Wave, which is what I actually thought you were referring to earlier, Moynihan. Which, yeah, Google. I mean, if, if people I, which don't nobody remember, ever understood, this yeah. was Google yeah. Google's attempt to build a social media company, 
What the fuck was that? I tried to use it and I was like, I it don't even know what this is. Miserably. And it's one the best of failure. many failures for Google. Apple has some prominent failures. Facebook has some prominent failures. I, I think it's it's at this point, is it safe to say that Facebook's efforts in the original content space have kind of failed? Like they've not done a great job so. of capitalizing on the the incredible control that they have over people's attention. People go there for their newsfeed. They go to YouTube for their content. And interestingly, Antonio, one of the things I think your um, Elizabeth Warren piece gets wrong um, with the monopsony versus monopoly argument you make is your suggestion that Facebook was kind of creating, they were essentially making the market for content online. They were defining the price because the price was effectively zero. You know, if you want to publish your stuff here, we're not paying you anything. We don't create content, but we do, you know, serve up attention. We traffic in it and we make money off the advertising but YouTube has created an army of content creators and we're awash in digital subscription services. I pay more now for all of my many digital services, thanks in part to you because of your Substack, um, than I did before <laughs> when it was just cable in my New York Times and Washington Post um, subscriptions. Like it's way more now because right. I subscribe to all of the things because I can, I can afford to and never fly coach. Um, so, you know, I don't know, man. The world, the world is wild and wonderful. Uh, we've kept you for a while. I want to give you the, the last word. And um, yeah, we've been soapboxing a lot today, or at least I have. I mean, not. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. It'd be great if you gave him the last word and Antonio just said, fuck you and just, uh, and just uh, disconnected. <laughs> Unplug yeah. his computer. And yeah. also if you, if you tell us you gotta say it the way easy E would, otherwise it doesn't count. <laughs> give an ad about your Substack, why why our uh, subscribers should uh, yeah. uh give it a look and give oh, it a because Camille will be on there soon. Um yes, he will actually. Fortunately he will be. He'll be he'll be on my turf. So yeah, so the the, the pull request, I mean the name is kind of weird. It's a it's a technical term when you're committing code and you you have a branch, like a set of code you want merged to like the main branch. It's you're you're requesting that like the powers that be pull from your branch and like absorb your code into the main branch. So it's this very um, roundabout sort of metaphor for what I think a lot of us are trying to create, which is like let's let's have our weird little media code be joined to the main conversation, outsiders that we are, and seen from the tech perspective. There's you know when it when it kind of came into being when I was dabbling in being kind of a mainstream sort of journalist type. There's a lot of journalists talking about tech, not a lot of technologists talking about technology, or not a lot mm -hmm. of technologists talking about technology that are actually getting read by non-technologists, right? And so that, in that sense, it's like, hey, can you, hey guys, can you, can you listen to us nerds over here for a second? We have a few things we can say about tech that are maybe a little bit different than what you would say. And so th that was the original founding thing. At this point, it's become this kind of weird AGM brain dump that like the things that kind of obsess <laughs> me and like keep me up at night tend to be on there. So we veered a little bit into religion and politics and culture. Cause I think wokeness is a form of, of cultish religion. I think religion, capital R religion, Christianity, Judaism, whatever is going to be making a comeback in some ways. I myself am having a religious journey of converting to Judaism and stuff. And so some of that came into it, which also just grants me the ability to talk to Andrew Sullivan about Catholicism for an hour and a half or Rod Dreher, who's a conservative Christian or Tom Holland, who's a, historian of Christianity wrote a great book about it. And so I think it's just, um, it's a skeptical kind of heterodox look at things. Some technology, I wrote about the Apple privacy system. I wrote about Apple's porn filtering system. I kind of blew oh, up we recently. We didn't even talk about that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I have thoughts about the way the, where privacy is going and, uh, the, the, the porn filtering thing is a big example of that actually. And it's interesting that the, you know, the, the element of that, that made it blow up, which is that it's happening on your phone is 
is a key element of the future privacy vision, I think, for not not for Apple specifically, just for the industry right. as a whole. Um, so, you know, it's just it's that techie look, I guess, with a little bit of religion and culture thrown in. I, you know, it's funny when Substack, when you like create the Substack, you can tag three topics and that determines which leaderboard you're in. If you go to Substack slash home, um, you're in very, and then, you know, I'm like a conservative, I'm like a competitive asshole and I want to beat various people on various leaderboards. So I was trying to like, who do I want to beat? Right. Do I want to beat like Rod Graher on the faith section? Do I want to go after Casey <laughs> Newton and technology? That's like really hard. Do I really want to swing for the fences and go after Taibbi and Matt Iglesias in the politics vertical? Where do I want to be? And I ended up just going for technology. But I think at this point it's, it's become more than that. I, I do worry that I'm going to get churned because like they're like, what the fuck? I, I shine up for privacy takes and you're talking to me about Orthodox Judaism. What is going on? Um, but it's a little bit of everything and uh, a lot of interviews. I like one of the things I liked about being a journalist when I was kind of LARPing as one was that like if you have like the wired or the whatever calling card, you can just like call people and they like they fucking pick up <laughs> and they're like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, yeah, let's talk. And you can actually get time with like leading CEOs or public figures. And so I'm exploiting this pull request thing a little bit to do that and basically just talk to people that I find cool and interesting, whether that be Glenn Greenwald, whether it be fuck, Ben Shapiro is going to be on, on pull request. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it's a little bit of everything. Um, and, uh, I'm open, I'm open to suggestions. Camille. I'm open to feedback. I'm still a corporate worker bee. I accept user and, and, and colleague feedback and take it very seriously. Um, and so if you have ideas for new directions or whatever, I'm happy to listen to those too. Sweet. Excellent. The, yeah, excellent. the, the article's essential. I know it's a little, it's a little annoying, but poorrequest.com is actually a YC software startup. And so you might go there and find something that's completely not my thing. But um, oh, wow. Yeah. And for the record, I knew what the hell a pull request is because I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure. Literate. I'm sure. And yeah. I mean, I, come on, people. I, I said it for I, your I've listeners, Camille. Before. I said it for your listeners. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he knows about Judaism because he's an anti Semite. So yeah. well, that's cool. You know, a lot of us things. <laughs> Well, my, my he, you're, a, you're a black Adventist. Hebrew Israelite. My, my family is Seventh-day Adventist, so we observe the wow. same Sabbath. So, yes. you know, yeah. I know a lot of things about that. So how did you get hooked up with Professor Griff? That's racist. I've never met that man. He's my yeah. uncle. <laughs> <laughs> well, Antonio, I appreciate you hanging out with us today, man. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Thanks appreciate it. Good chatting. See ya. We know of new methods of attack. I, I like Antonio. He's a good guy. That's fine. I'm going to push him further I thought he was coming in column, more rigid column, positions column, on these things. Column, and column, by the column, end, he's playing column, devil's advocate. So that's okay. Yeah, but you're going to be on his podcast. He's trying to be nice to you. He doesn't, he yeah, it's to, true. should save the fireworks for his own podcast. Yeah. It's clear that the J.D. Vance, Josh Hawley, uh -huh. you know, what's your name? Your guy's name? Blake. Blake Masters, Blake Masters. Morton, Morton yeah. the third. Um, uh, He's a co-author of Zero to One, which is Peter Peter sure. Thiel's yes. um, very yeah. important book to to some people. It's worth reading. You know, when uh, Emmanuel, my wife, was kind of the godmother of French blogs back in the day, mm -hmm. right? She had a blog. For, blog. She worked for Liberation, the French, uh, great French daily paper, and she wrote about Silicon Valley a lot and, and traveled up there. And she had a blog and was influential. And I remember going with her to a tech conference or two, one in Grenoble, Grenoble. Uh, and back then, it was, as uh, Moynihan was alluding to earlier, like it was just all about Microsoft. And uh, then it was sort of deeply personal, like, oh, Emmanuel, you're great and everything, but, uh, but uh, you know, uh, 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 you're not really talking about Microsoft. Microsoft. Microsoft is, Microsoft is the problem. <laughs> um, and it was great because the, the problem uh, of the big tech giant that we should all be scared of would mutate over time. Mm -hmm. 
It would become, mm -hmm. well, Google is a problem, uh, Facebook is a problem, and they would speak about it in the exact same way. And it led to what you were alluding to earlier, Camille, which was these crazy laws about the sort of right to privacy, right to be forgotten, right. heavy-handed tech laws in Europe, uh, which have now been copied in California and a couple of states here under the model, mm -hmm. particularly very, for the Democratic— very yeah. <laughs> the Democratic way of doing it. But the impulse, which was so obvious at the time, was like, we have identified the bad person, the bad mm -hmm. company, the bad thing, and all good people must be on this side of that thing right now. It's a, it's a, a gut test. It's a cup check, as we would say in baseball. And, um, and it has the same kind of level of, of sophistication, which is to say, not a lot. Um, it's like knee-jerk animus at a moment. And so it's very interesting to see people who emanate from the actual in industry um, flirt with that. And I'm not saying AGM, as he calls himself. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> Does I'm he call himself ML. that? He did that. He did that late, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is great. Um, no, it's actually aspirational. I want a MLW from now on, but it's kind of hard to do. Um, but like, uh, uh, he's he's not fully throated in that. At least he didn't present himself as that way in our conversation. And it was a very uh, uh, great and fun uh, and interesting conversation. But the uh, the politician side of it in mm -hmm. American politics right now on the new conservative, which actually you know predates Michael Malice, uh, Camille. I know. <laughs> I just wanted to plug uh, his book. Is uh, similarly bad guy focused, and that's just going to be shallow uh, on some level. So, like exploring those commonalities might be an interesting avenue of conversation. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, and by the way, the new right thing is Richard Vigory and the, the right. mail mail order mail the, those guys in like the late seventies, early eighties. That was considered the new right. As, Gingrich uh, was a new right for a half a. It was second. another new right. Yeah, it was yeah. all uh, a throwback to the new left of the sixties. But um, there is a book, and I quickly just looked on Google, but it's really hard to find if you Google French book about Google. But there was a French writer, and it was translated into English, an absolutely atrocious book. I think it came out in two thousand six, and it was when Google was digitizing books when it was doing that big scanning project of all the books and all the libraries of the world. In this, there was a, court cases in France, and this French writer wrote this. Um, insane book about how Google was going to destroy everything by scanning the world's uh, books. And that's always something to go back and do. I wrote a piece a long time ago for Reason, which I think was it was later published in the Utney Reader. And I remember adding a few things to it for that version about uh, big box stores. Oh, that was and, great. Yeah. And what I did is I went back and it's always instructive to go back and look at the panics about, um, you know, Sears mm. in the past, the panics about Woolworths, all this Walmart. stuff. And every <laughs> every single one was like, this is going to end everything. Mom and Pops yeah. are dead. And now you're yeah. talking like, oh, the days of the 70s and 80s, Mom and Pops. I'm like, I'm looking at 1910 when they said Mom and Pops are going away. No, dude, Blockbuster yeah. and Barnes & Noble were going like to exactly. end Exactly. Bo borders, yeah, all yeah. that stuff. And that is also true of tech stuff. I mean, that French book about... Google Books, I think that was one of the main focuses of it, is rendered absurd by time. And that's what mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff is. You look at this stuff and it's like, it's very, very hard to predict the future of tech. Um, there's some things that are kind of obvious that you're going to have Jetsons-like FaceTime, right? This talking to people on screens, that's going to happen. But, you know, nobody predicted blockchain. Nobody even predicted Uber or Lyft and watching cars in real time. It would have seemed insane. I mean, when it came out, I thought it was crazy and amazing. And the predictions are always in the now. So you're always predicting things that are kind of being developed 
and you're saying this is what's going to happen, they're never seeing in the future because it's impossible to, right? It's a, it's a mugs game to try to predict this stuff. But go through all that stuff. And I mentioned mm-hmm. the Internet Explorer thing's always funny, but there's a million of them. IBM, I mean, all this stuff, there's a million of them. So yeah. it's always yeah, yeah. Uh, funny to go back in the archives. Motorola, Nokia, oh my God, MSNBC. Microsoft is launching a cable news channel. This is yeah. frightening. It's frightening yeah. for other reasons. That's yeah, true. <laughs> it was frightening. Mika in her plastic surgery. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm echoing Donald Trump very badly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was his dream, not mine. Just no, just the re- it's the rendition of it on the podcast yeah, 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 I remember yeah, that's most. It. Um, yeah. Go find that. Go <laughs> oh, find that. That's right. Good. That's right. Yeah. Oh my God, I, I think you said, that. what did you say? Like a czarist prince? Wow, I don't even remember. It's so great. It's a, yeah. it a front end of the podcast. I get high on my own supply. Oh, I don't really? listen to other podcasts. I, never, I, I listen to Fifth Column podcasts over and over again, and mostly just to like rewind the parts where I'm talking wow. and then listen again. I don't, I've, only, I've never listened to an episode of this podcast. Is it any good? Yeah. It's, I heard it's good. I mean, but, people are into different things. Yeah. Like that guy from Kung Fu, what was his thing? He like kind of hang himself. And, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. can't do it unless, like I have to be listening to myself on a podcast in order to perform. When you have an wow. orange in your mouth and a rope around your neck in the closet yeah. of a hotel in Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah, we've and I'm listening to the fifth <laughs> column. All, we've yeah. all done it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Exactly. I love the fact that right when I said that Camille froze. Froze. Yeah, it's kind of perfect. <laughs> you froze. You froze. I couldn't has see like him. Seventy-five teeth. Too. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like, oh, it's, it's like all bright. <laughs> wow, that's racist. I'm just saying you have nice teeth. teeth. How is it saying? How is it saying? But wait, I was going to plug a piece, nice and I want to. I want to remember the Atlantic. <laughs> I read a great piece called "Our Predictions About the Internet Are Probably Wrong." It's by Colin Murphy. And it is worth reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is primarily about the printing press yeah. and the radical ways it changed the world so completely from one epoch to the next that it is hard to, to even draw meaningful analogies to it. Mm-hmm. Worth your time. Go back and find it. When AOL bought Time Warner in late 2000, early 2001... Um, Wouldn't it be great if AOC bought Time Warner? I just <laughs> broke it up to a bunch of like collective farms. God, I forgot about the AOL Time Warner um, thing. People did not want that to happen. No. It was the biggest merger in history, and there were people, Bob Shear is a dear friend of mine and a benefactor of my career, wrote, the wild era of libertarian freedom on the internet is over. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, Nor- Norman Solomon, <laughs> uh, the lefty media grump, is like, Big Brother is here now. And at the time, there were basically two... People, maybe three, because I didn't. I don't know if I was reading Jack Schaefer, but I presume that he was good on this. Um, I didn't know Nick Gillespie at the time. I was writing in obscurity, and um, and he was writing for reason. Um, but there's like three people who wrote, like, "Are you people fucking serious? Yeah, a media merger is going to suddenly like ruin our freedom." And it was me and Nick and probably Jack Schaefer. But like, it, you were absolutely in the middle of a burst dam holding up your hand trying to keep the water of all of the bad takes about media and technology (laughs) and monopoly and monopsony and phenopsony and narcolepsy and And to me and all of them yeah Yeah. oh my god everybody's insane about this stuff and every, I mean, it's it's the one thing that you can guarantee if you're going to make predictions about you're going to be totally wrong. It's just a matter of how wrong you're going to be. So I, I advise people just to not make predictions. But I mean, it, you know, when when Antonio uh, says Elizabeth Warren and he spoke about her a little bit and um, I just if you look at Elizabeth Warren. It's not a person you're like, I really need to know what she thinks that the shape of the Internet should be. 
That's not what I think when I see her. I don't think that she's the one that should be dictating any policy about uh, the future of social media companies. Which Commerce. can I can I make a maybe a maybe a crazy claim here? Okay. Social media companies do not matter. They just don't fucking matter. <laughs> do it, Norm Macdonald. Stop. Do it, Norm Macdonald. Hey, what are you doing there with the Russia Gate there over on the <laughs> Facebook? You're doing a little uh, protest in uh, Texas. Black Lives Matter from Russia. <laughs> it's it's so bizarre because you know, and it's and by the way, it is this fake bullshit that allows people to hyperventilate about this stuff because, like, yeah, I know it was Facebook that threw the election. It's like, yes. uh, no, it's somebody who lost to a total dipshit uh, TV show, like game show host, basically. And you really, really feel bad about it. It's like, I didn't break up with her. She, you know, she didn't break up with me. I broke up with her. That's where this narrative came from. Remember that. Always remember mm -hmm. that. And they also, were trying to excuse a shitty campaign. And also remember the, that uh, a whole lot of people think that Facebook threw the election in 2020 in the opposite direction. Uh, yeah, it, that's, that's also true. Uh, yeah. Because, because of the Hunter Biden story. It's like, wait a second. His son smokes crack there? I don't know. I'm not going to vote for that guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> that seems a little problematic. But yeah. yeah, no, I get that there's the 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 um, the Joe Biden, and this is a Joe Biden element of this. Well, was he involved? Did he know about it? This Ben Schrecklinger or whatever reporting seems to confirm some of that, whatever. It's like, yeah, it took like eight months for that to happen. They dropped this shit like right before the election. There was not enough time for it to have any impact. I interviewed Steve Bannon right after it happened and basically said the same thing to him. I was like, if you had this stuff, and it's like, oh yeah, we're trying to vet it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> yeah, you were in a lab in, in, in Switzerland looking at the forensics. But like you just you should have dropped it earlier and had people you know pull that stuff out. It was poorly timed, but the thing about it is that we really, really at our own peril because down the road, the sort of knock on effects of this down the road is this kind of stuff that we oh we are the peril is to overstate the power of social media and its influence in our life because everybody you talk to, if they're reasonably intelligent, will deny right everyone. They are like unduly influenced by random articles on Facebook. No one's going to admit to this. And you know what? I think they're mostly right. I don't think that people who see a bunch of anti-vax articles on Facebook are like, oh, my God, I didn't know. And, yes, that does happen to some people who go around the bend. But they've been going around the bend for thousands of years. Old people, this is a thing, man. I don't get it. A friend of mine's father, this is before Trump, by the way, um, and really before Facebook, he's one of the smartest people I know. His background is so impressive. I can tell you off air because I just don't want to identify the guy. He got up into his 80s and I had dinner with him and he was saying some of the craziest shit in the world. Totally lucid, <laughs> totally smart. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's the thing that people talk about. And they're not wrong, by the way, that like lefties talk about like Salon Magazine has a thousand articles. I lost my grandfather to Fox News or whatever. It's like, yeah, but you're you're diagnosing it wrong. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. a function of age, boredom, tribalism. You know, literally all your friends are gone. You have this, you know, in the middle of nowhere kind of thing. And it was I mean, newsletters in the 90s. There's, you know, militias are kind of like this. People go through this stuff and you don't need Facebook for it to exist. It's going to happen anyway. It's, it's democracy. It's the democratization of, of media. What do you think that's going to look like? Do you think the democratization of stuff, which by definition is more people get to participate, read, access, produce, download, right? More, yeah. 
Right? Remember the thing in college, back in the college radio days? There was a college radio chart in the back of Rolling Stone there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's uh, right. <laughs> but, like, that, what was it? What's the rule? Like, uh, the the Verniger's rule or something? But 95% of everything is crap. It's, it's higher than that, of course. But, like, 95% of the music that you get is crap. So suddenly there's a ton more music. There's a ton more crap. Um, democratization means there's a ton more crap. And it's maybe an easier way to get there, but that's it. This is what you are seeing. Saying, seeing is that like democracy allows that uh, that thing to happen to with die Facebook. in darkness. <laughs> no, that's that's democracy, dude. Yeah. That is like my yeah. dad has an easier time if he is uh, you know if we haven't disabled Facebook from his computer of getting that stuff and so he's going to get that stuff because that's people sharing what they actually want to see which is dan bongongo um talking about his yeah nobody actually ever gets to the root that people like this stuff and want to consume it they just want to keep it from them it's like the drug war of information it's like it's so weird everybody's like and they do it just get rid of it and they won't be interested anymore this is democracy yeah i'm sorry to inform you but democracy looks like that. There was a weird moment, yeah. I think, during the Trump administration, towards the tail end of it, in which maybe we talked about it on the show, where I was like, wow, we're in a world now. In which it was kind of also true when uh, after 9-11, when I saw like, you know, the Nation magazine, people like publishing articles from like Islamic scholars and stuff. I was like, wait, what? You're like b- b- religious people in your pages? What changed? And, you know, it's pretty obvious what did. But this was the same thing that happened to the later, later Trumpies when I noticed it, was people on the left, I would say, not the sort of mainstream Democratic left, but sort of more, you know, New York City, Brooklyn left, were offering daily full-throated defenses of the corporate media. <laughs> this is what we need. We need, we need to trust... The big three networks, we need to trust the big newspapers that are maybe owned by Carlos Slim, who knows at this point, billionaire, like it's, it, you know, it's nuts. Let's that, get like, some carve outs, like the bill right now in Washington, it's like, let's get some money for a local newspaper. Yes, I mean, look, the, the, here's the thing that happened with these people, particularly when it came to, came to Donald Trump, when the democratization happened. And it allowed not just elites, not just people who lived in the Upper West Side, and not just people who went to Yale and the rest of it to to take the reins or the whips, depending on who you are, mm-hmm. uh, take the reins. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I had to. Sorry. Um, they realized something. They realized that not everybody was Izzy Stone. They thought that like let a thousand IF Stone newsletters bloom. And that didn't happen because it was going to be like, what was the alternative media before? You know, Democracy Now!, like FAIR, that, uh, you know, lefty media organization. Not the, the new fangled civil rights organization. No, no, no. There's, a, there's an immigration one. There's a civil rights Yeah. Never use that acronym, guys. It's just everybody's <laughs> using it. But yeah, they, they, there was a million versions of this that kind of lined up with their worldview and then they'd scratch their heads when they saw like, Oh, Ron Paul had a newsletter. It's like, yeah, just, it wasn't just you guys at the mimeograph stuff that you get at the radical bookstore in the East village. When you allow other people to do that, they might not do exactly what you want. And then they were like, Oh man, you know what? If that's going to exist, I think we should just go with MSNBC and, you know, PBS. I mean, and blah, blah, blah. Man, so. go read a history of alternative journalism, Apex, great book from the 60s, Uncovering the 60s, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's a great example of that. But the rise of the alt weeklies, starting with the Village Voice in 56 or 57, but mostly in the 60s, LA had a great scene back then too. And 
um, read what those people who started those things, which tended to be radical, they were radical left, sometimes radical yeah. individualist in the case of the realist, or just crazy in the case of the realist, um, read what they were saying about the corporate media back then. It'll mm-hmm. make uh, Michael Malice look like a piker. You know, um, really, like uh, they, they were this is this is evil. This is wrong. And this is we're going to break through it. It was a great um, energetic kind of expression of a new way of doing journalism. But then follow what happens with new creations of alternative journalism afterwards. It is where usually where some technology breaks through and then allows people who feel like they weren't. Um, having the uh, ability to express themselves very much uh, to rush through the gates. And Mm -hmm. since that great explosion in the 60s, for the most part, but not always, but for the most part, the new things tended to be right of center. I mean, when the you open up the airwaves that gives you Fox News before that, you open up the AM dial that gives you right wing talk radio Uh, blogs when they really opened up after 9-11. Tended to be sort of center right in orientation. Um, it's where in you know Facebook, did, yeah. Facebook now. So Matt Drudge, mm-hmm. Matt Drudge was uh, 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 enormous in that world. Um, and at every step, elites go nuts. Like this is the problem. Like <laughs> anyone can write anything now. We have to do something about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, democracy dies in darkness. Like there's just it is a weird yeah. incoherence. And, and there's and one final thing on this is that the, you should love all this stuff if you have the instinct for kind of radical, wacko, out of the mainstream stuff. Is like I don't like any of not any. There's some stuff that I think is actually really good of the politics of ramparts. Um, which was, you know, I mean, it, I like some of it. I, some of it, but like I like, <laughs> I like Warren Hinkle's memoir. You know, if life gives you lemons, it, it's an amazing thing. And Warren Sorry. Hinkle is an insane person who has walked around San Francisco with an eye patch and a fat dachshund, and like it was just a lunatic. And I love that he existed. I love what he did um, for the magazine world and ultimately Scanlons, which didn't didn't last, but. I love that stuff. And even though I can't really stand some of the politics, and I think some of it's really wrong and was not proven, but they did some great stuff about the CIA's influence on cultural policy, et cetera, and, you know, broke some big stories. They came out of nowhere, and they just did an mm-hmm. end run. Catholic like, Quarterly. Catholic Quarterly that they, they, they overran in, like, the mid-'60s. And, you know, who cares about the fucking politics? I love the instinct of those people, and I tend to get really annoyed when people tell me that, you know, Hey, we are the arbiter of facts, mm-hmm. and if you want those facts, come here. And that doesn't mean that I still don't love the New York Times. I read the New York Times all the time. I think their news coverage is really good, and I think a, there's a lot of fucking problems with it too. But whatever, you news coverage anyway. is, is very good with huge asterisks beside it. Yeah, that's true. One one thing I should say because we've talked a lot to Martin Gurry. Uh, well, we talked a lot about Martin Gurry on this podcast. We've talked mm-hmm. to him one time, but I've, I've talked to him on a bunch of other occasions in different contexts. Over at Megyn Kelly's house. No, that, that hasn't happened yet. may happen at some point. Y'all won't get invited because I'm her favorite. Again, <laughs> subscribe to the Patreon for more discourse <laughs> along these lines. Um, <laughs> but but I, I suspect there's someone listening who may be having some difficulty squaring the assertion that social media doesn't matter with the revolt of the public thesis, which I've been broadly supportive of. And I think we probably generally agree with mm-hmm. the core insight here is that particular cultural proclivities of these companies doesn't really matter. And even some of the particular claims about how effective they are and manipulating public opinion doesn't necessarily matter. But the cultural dynamic 
of having so many more new publications into the fray can be extremely disturbing to the status quo in ways that almost yeah. no one is is able to control or quite understand and certainly in ways that will make the elite say almost uniformly the wrong sort of people are talking did you hear what they said like yeah. something yeah. is wrong with that and sometimes those things may be genuinely dangerous it worries me when terrorists are getting together in super secure quadruply encrypted context where they can plan their nefarious plots. Um, child pornography on the internet is a thing that one should be concerned about and finding ways to combat it while respecting people's privacy is a delicate dance. But again, we need thoughtful, serious conversations about those complicated problems that respect our imperfections and our uncertainty yeah. <laughs> and the complex reality of the industry and the important role that the internet is likely to play and the the democratization of media is going to continue to play in our lives, which will be both dramatic and uncomfortable at times, but obviously important. This podcast could not exist. Everything I've done professionally in one way, shape or form depends upon <laughs> the internet. From the yeah. telecom startup that I started in, which interestingly existed because it was an arbitrage opportunity created by regulation of the telcos and how poorly that went. But that is another story for another day. Anyways, other stuff. But we quickly, could talk Camille, about. just just oh, so I don't want to I don't want people to misunderstand me here is that I don't think that they're not influential and they yeah, don't yeah. have power. What I tend to object to is the power that people attribute to them that presumes that everyone is created by this. That right. people don't, you right. know, historically you see that this stuff always exists and people tend to find these like-minded groups on Facebook, right? Whereas most of the discourse about this suggests that people are these blank slates in their 50s and 60s and they tend to be just hanging around, clicking around, looking at pictures of their grandkids and the next thing you know, they're in fucking QAnon. I, I don't think that's how it works. And I yeah. think that people who are attracted to things like that um, are already wrecked by various other things. And it's not, it's not just the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the provenance of this weird kind of corners of the internet. I don't think that's... I don't and think also, that's, yeah. I think people I was trying attribute... to helpfully clarify, which I'm not sure yeah, if yeah, I'm yeah, doing yeah. a great job because I'm, yeah, no, no, I'm no, I just way overdoing it with my dosis yeah, yeah. pen over here. So Yeah, I, I, saw, I saw you huffing on that thing. It's fun. Yeah, it's I one. think that people also uh, like <laughs> misattribute oh, commonly a... Uh, a uniform uh, intelligence, let alone a malevolence, mm -hmm. of yes. like a top down from the companies themselves. Like Zuckerberg wants X. That's obvious. You know, I think it's <laughs> easier to say with what's a, what's this French uh, from a Twitter because he looks so weird at this point. Jack Dorsey. Jack, Jack. Dorsey. Was, yeah. yeah, he was like uh, retweeting uh, Reason recently. So he looks like a roadie for Johnny Paycheck. And he, he did. He He's did, like he did a Murray the... Rothbard quote like enigmatically uh, at the top huh? of his tweet uh, feed. Yeah, yeah, like three or four uh, weeks ago. Check it out uh, for all you Rothbard fans out there. I know we'll you're there up. because we'll be because Jack. you you give us a lot of guest suggestions. Was it was it about uh, uh, about fleet footed uh, members of the American public? <laughs> that is how not they act a Rothbard quote. Damn it, quote. Damn it they're Stop coming that. after us. That is not a Rothbard quote. quote. Well, it's kind of close. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, the Rothbard quotes are more about like how exciting Joseph McCarthy was. He was yeah. like yeah. like oh, in, like David Here Duke and the Viet Cong. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Yeah. All right, it's a different At show. It's a different show. At any rate, yes. Uh, uh, like, no, it's that, like, the malevolent intelligence and, and, and direction from the top down. That's not how these companies got their power to begin with. Like, they got it by being 
the place where you could upload a video easily. Yes. Yes. That's, that's it. True. Which is like, again, it's the democratization. That's how they got the power. And as soon as they get to a certain level, then there's this huge tendency in American life. And now we've seen it. It's a horseshoe theory of it or, you know, variations of the horseshoe theory. Yes. Like once you get up to X level, we're going to try to treat you like a utility. Common common carrier. And, and weirdly, people don't like being told, yeah. you're a dumb uh, conspiracy theorist. Let me teach you the truth. <laughs> as, as a message on your post. They're like, oh, really? Hold on. Let me, let me check this out. That doesn't really work. Anyway, is there anything else in the actual? We just talked about. We, we didn't should, talk about anything in the but news. We, uh, but yeah, we but also have a bit of a time deadline tonight. Uh, the, yeah. the, there's going to be a oh, yeah, cord cutting. Oh yeah, yeah. Not night. Oh, exactly. The new now. internet's being installed. The over new there. internet's being oh, installed good. as yeah, of today as of midnight East Coast time. Something got to get fixed yeah. over there. Yeah, they just, they, they're trying to make it worthwhile. Make make you think you're making a decision by fucking with your internet the day before they change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, bit. yeah. But well, quick thing then, infrastructure bill. Winding its way through Congress, you're going to quick trying thing. To. You can't quick thing. Yeah. I, no, <laughs> actually, I think quick thing. I the Peloponnesian War. <laughs> I think I can because we because we asked about yeah. it before. Yeah, infrastructure yeah. bill obviously very important to Joe Biden. He wants this to be a signature achievement of his. Uh, Matt, we, that you teased time. this a little earlier. What is the likelihood this damn thing passes? I, I find myself presuming that it will pass because people just like to spend money frivolously and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And that's... the Democrat civil war has been less intense in some respects than the, the war between the never Trumper conservatives well, and the populist loonies. That's true, yeah. So there's three big things that, that happen out of Washington this week. One is that the $3.5 trillion, let's just do it all bill is uh, likely not to pass. Um, mm -hmm. And so, therefore, if anything passes, it's going to be this ginormous, whatever the hell it is, trillion-dollar infrastructure bill, which will have, you know, Moynihan's cock is infrastructure. Yeah, soft <laughs> infrastructure. <laughs> Depends on when you talk to it. Then it could be hard soft infrastructure. infrastructure. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> it might pass. ASMR. It might. <laughs> uh, it, it might not. It's me, but Camille. There was reporting today from the Wall Street Journal um, that will uh, just be shrugged at uh, for the most part. And it's something that we've talked about since the inception of this podcast, which is that, um, oh, yeah, the whole uh, criminal justice reform bill is dead. Mm hmm. Yeah. Right. Yep. So um, I'm glad that's you, yep. you elected Democrats, you elected uh, Joe Biden in particular, who is the least mm -hmm. interested in. in in criminal justice reform among all the Democratic presidential candidates. Uh, Officer it, Kamala Cop Harris. <laughs> <laughs> the cop. So that was the ticket that you went for. And I understand there's a lot of different reasons why you choose those people, but they happen to be. Well, the reason the is least. Black Lives Matter and to fund the police, Matt Welch. Thank you. Uh, so he's that been, just he's been dies. Weed, by and as, as we find out, just for the record. Uh, I mean, go back, go and look at the picture of Nancy Pelosi. And everyone else in like the rotunda and, take, Kent, and Kente cloth? No, taking a knee. They yes, take, no, they're knee. wearing like Kente. They're like dra were they taking Kente a knee cloth. in Kente cloth? Yeah, too? yeah. yes, oh, they were. Yeah. You know why? Because yeah. Black Lives Matter. They even painted it on the street, my nigga. Mm -hmm. They were serious <laughs> yeah, about it. That's how you serious. know. That's why the George Floyd criminal justice reform bill has been passed, and we're getting things <laughs> done because that's what we do. We march through uh, the streets and we got things done. And we, know, bought, we bought some Kente cloth. The legacy <laughs> of, of George Floyd in American politics today, or this week, is not in any kind of criminal justice reform bill, because that's now dead. Congratulations. You elected all the Democrats, 
and you didn't do anything. Um, but it was invoked, actually, by some of the Black Lives Matter protesters at Carmine's yes. in the Upper <laughs> West Side, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Be, and it's, a, it's too complicated for me to recount, but basically— It's another fake story. It's another basically. crazy yeah. fake that, that's story. That's exactly it. Uh, um, <laughs> in which apparently an Asian hostess at yes. a— Italian deli in in in, in Manhattan. It's there. a restaurant. It's like a famous Italian restaurant. Man, yeah. in Manhattan. There, yeah, up there and there, um, <laughs> is going to be dropping end bombs yes. at some diners from Texas. Yeah, which is all anyone heard about it for the first. No, 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 no. You're you're almost right. Now the he's, headlines he's were tourists yeah. from Texas. Tourists, yeah. Which right. was like they were fighting over their vaccine status, and so right, it was the like, restaurant uh, asked tourists them to from leave. Texas. It was like, and obviously, you don't just say tourists from texas i mean that's typically there's something that happens and they don't name where they're from in the uh -huh. headline but that was the implication was that they were they were like trump people evening on the hostess at carmine's on the upper west side a result of the city's new vaccine rules police say three female tourists from texas assaulted the worker when she asked for their proof of vaccination all three of them, a 44-year-old woman, her 21-year-old daughter, and a 49-year-old woman who were taken into custody. The victim's necklace was broken in the attack. She refused but medical But that was attention. the implication was that they were, they were like Trump people. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, why are these Black Lives Matter people showing up for these Trump people from Texas? I was like, <laughs> oh, that wasn't the story at all. That's not what happened. And then what they told me happened. I don't think that happened either. Nope. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Although the no, rhetoric, the rhetoric in that one was pretty remarkable. Uh, I, I believe someone suggested in one of the quotes that I saw. I don't know if it was the Guardian or, or who was reporting on it that the vaccine mandates and the determination to see these vaccine passports mm -hmm. at restaurants was going to get black people killed, mm -hmm. just like Sandra yeah. Bland. Yeah. <laughs> That's that yes. is the claim. From Black Lives Matter activists, and in instance, we don't even know how about. she died either, right? Isn't that kind of the case? Uh, uh, white supremacy. Uh, actually, it looked more suspicious at the beginning than it did in the ultimate watch yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I was one of those who said immediately, "Ah, come on, you know." Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it looks suspicious, it looks but then pretty suspicious, not. Yeah. But the, they there was an invocation of George Floyd there. Direct quote. Mm -hmm. This is a Nash Review article which had some of the craziest direct quotes I've ever seen in an article anytime recently um, saying that you know um, we've seen the violence that you saw last last summer we're gonna see it again uh, mm -hmm. if if Bill de Blasio is going to <laughs> he said that's not a threat it's a promise I'm like it's, oh. it's like it's not a threat <laughs> it's a promise okay it's like, crazy I, we've just invoked George Floyd this, this is where we're going with it's, it's a not not a threat. Uh, it, it's a, it's a promise, and also like um, you know the Gestapo. Oh, I guess they're the NYPD. Yeah. That's like a quote uh, yeah. as well. And what's really funny is that there's a not tiny contingent of some conservatives and some libertarians who are like they're right <laughs> like, they're, because because they're they also don't like the vaccine, and I don't like the vaccine mandates, and I argued against them probably here, but definitely elsewhere of like. Uh, you're going to be creating conflict in society. And also explicitly in my argumentation of it is that that conflict in New York is going to be against black people. I, went into, I, I, I went into the MoMA store 
um, on Crosby Street down in Soho. To and, get a McGriddle? Uh, yeah, that's. I thought it was the <laughs> McDonald's. I just saw the M. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going in. And <laughs> I got a McGriddle. And uh, I walked in, and there was this guy, that like a security guy at the door. And he's like, I need to see your vaccination card and your state ID. And I was like, what? Are you seeing my fucking state? I'm literally going to look at like Andy Warhol ashtrays or whatever the fuck you sell here. And the guy was amazing. He was uh, a young, uh, non-white chap. And uh, I said, this is crazy. And he's like, dude, I'm really sorry. And I'm like, no, don't apologize. You're doing your job that you don't have to do. And he's like, I'm so sorry. It's so stupid. And like, we had this long conversation about how crazy uh, it was that they had to see ID. Like, you wanted, like, what did you want to make sure that I wasn't like not like, you know, Cuban or something? Like, what matching, is the I? They're matching it up? I, I guess. Yeah. The, hand, yeah, the, the, the card the, is handwritten. The card. You, yeah. But it's not printed. So why would it even matter? I obviously would print one of those out and write it in in pen, which is what mine is, mine is written in. But that thing that happened uptown, it's the other implication of this is, um, you know, it's like this crazy flip of people loving the corporate media. It's like people all of a sudden, we love, we hate the mandates and everyone's on the weird wrong side now or the opposite side that you would assume. So but the funny thing about this is the presumption with Texas um, tourists, right? The other presumption that is, is just implied through everything is that until, I think it was the New York Post pointed out that the woman was like a young Asian woman, is that everybody, there was all this like white supremacy and they're talking about like racism and the rest of it. If you look at the video, there's literally no white people involved. There's like, there's black staff members. There's the woman who's a hostess is, 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 um, is uh, Asian. I think the cops were black and Hispanic. There's just like, no. And I'm like, that is the presumption in all of this stuff. And this thing about white supremacy, I'm like, I don't, so when is it white supremacy? I don't get when you are a victim of white supremacy and when you're a perpetrator of it. Like they pointed out also that the people on horsebacks, uh, horseback with the reins that were supposedly whipping Haitian immigrants, they're like the white people. And then it was like, oh, yeah, but there were white Hispanics. This is actually. <laughs> and it's like, wait. It was Antonio. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, exactly. He was on the horseback. <laughs> he was on a little, uh, he was on a Segway. Oh, it's a Silicon Valley thing. Catching with Haitians a, a, at the border. He's Jeez. like, no, it's a, the reins of my Segway. Um, and it's like, no, they're they're Hispanic. And then there was this like, but they're white Hispanic. I'm like, wait, so if it was the other way around, if it was some white guy whipping the guy that was doing the white Hispanic, you, he would then be Hispanic, right? That's, that's sorry, yeah. sounding like Norm McDonald again. You become, it depends on the situation when you're, like George Zimmerman's a white Hispanic. Right. If he was being beaten up by a cop, it'd be a Hispanic. Right. It's, it's how all this stuff I mean, is adjudicated. Like, I kind of want to be a Hispanic right now. No, but it's but also the Asian the thing. Situational is Situational like, Hispanic. You're you're white adjacent and then you're the victim of of white supremacy. I don't understand it. And I'm not even making a point other than to say I can't keep up with who's being oppressed <laughs> I, and who's the oppressor. I think Camille has it's, a solution to this. Can smoke his vape pen? Yeah. Smoke his weed. Totally. What's, my, what's my solution? He's literally oh, he's rolling so a joint right now. Wasted. No. Your solution no, is so bad. I don't know what the cue is. What is it supposed to say? Okay. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, we got our lines crossed, and all of a sudden we have Phil Lesh on the line. <laughs> Fuck is this? Come on. <laughs> Live from San Francisco. Come on. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay, Chong. 
<laughs> um, well, we we should probably we should wrap go. up and, yeah, and get out of here because we've been going for a little while. I will um, commend to Uh-oh. you uh, Matt Taibbi's most recent piece, uh, RussiaGate, more like Watergate. Finally, John Durham through some action showing up there. That special counsel investigation. <laughs> or is, or is Trump called him Bull little... Durham? Do you remember when he was? Doing <laughs> yeah. it? It's like Bull I Durham. I think so. You know, yeah, it's great. he called him Bull Durham. But um, Michael Sussman, um, who was somewhat related to the Clinton campaign, and then he worked at a law firm that had some relationship with them. You should go read his piece. Um, It seems to me that the case is probably a a lot thinner than one might imagine coming out of something like this. But even if that's the case, the whole situation is dodgy and suspect. It's the sort of thing that if this were being reported about Donald Trump in, say, 2017, 2018, it would have dominated the news cycle for a month or more. And Rachel Maddow would be bringing people onto her program to insist that this is some of the bravest and most important journalism that's ever been done. Um, just, just in <laughs> like when general. they had Carter Page on, <laughs> and they'd like film him like trying to get into the studio, my like hair? running into yeah. doors and be like, "Hey, what's going on there?" Just Carter Page, yeah, mastermind yeah, I mean, Carter Page. It's just, it's just worth your attention. I think it's just another. It's a, it's a shining <laughs> example shorts. of the the <laughs> dereliction of duty on the part of journalists during the entirety of the Russiagate madness. I think this story is quintessential in that respect. Just kind of reframing that insane period. So worth worth your time, but for now we're gonna stop. So bye. I know this is like a Ken Burns documentary now. Bye. We Speaking know of, which, of new methods. Of bye. Just say bye. No, but we have a <laughs> Patreon thing that bye. has something to do with Ken Burns. Bye. For Patreon subscribers only oh, this yeah. weekend. Yeah, this weekend. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. I don't even know. What it's he's not worth about. Uh, uh, making this podcast longer. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse.